Disclaimer. We are two regular guys who love to talk Bone Thugs and Harmony. We do not represent Bone Thugs or any Bone affiliate. We are also not Bone Thugs experts. The views and information you hear in this podcast may be based on personal opinion. Please feel free to leave corrections and clarifying information in the comments. And enjoy. Beyond the Harmony, beyondtheharmony.com, Thug Thursday. I am your host, Cecil West, with the one and only... Yeah, that's right, guys. Uh, no no Johnny on this episode, at least for right now. Uh, maybe he'll uh, get an opportunity to call in. Uh, John is away taking care of a few things, so... For the time being, this is Beyond the Harmony. Welcome to the West Side. And I'll be rocking it solo tonight. But we, we, got, a, uh, we got a great great episode tonight, either way. Either way, and I'll tell you why. We've been recording episodes for, I don't know, for months now. And we've talked to some of the greats. Uh, and, and especially in the last couple weeks, we have had the opportunity to speak to, you know, Mohara, Romeo, Archie, so many, so many of your Mothug heroes. And we talk about the sound. We talk about what made that Mothug sound, that Mothug sound. We talk about what made that, that feeling that you got when you popped in the first Mothug disc or the second Mothug disc. And a huge piece of that, you know, we start to understand came from production, came from the mixing, came from Romeo, from Archie. And tonight we find out another huge piece of it, the piece that came from Bobby Jones. So I'm excited. And as I look, do, do, I, have, do I have my own guest? Before my guest, hold on. Who do we have? You got John Lizzie. You got John <laughs> Lizzie. Yeah, yeah, I'm playing hooky right now, man. I'm on call and I'm, I'm I'm under the gun right now, but I couldn't miss hopping on to Beyond the Harmony to help help my cohort out, get the fire started before Bobby Jones kicks in. Talk some, you know, because we're two boys that love to talk that bone thug, so I can't miss out on that every single week. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh... I, I got it started. There were some crickets, but but we were we were doing it. We we were here, but it it's good to have uh, Johnny riding shotgun, and I, I think we're gonna have Bobby calling in relatively quickly because uh, 
you know, he, he, he is excited. Um, I've been talking to him all week. I've actually been, you know, it's funny. I've been, I've been talking to Bobby for quite some time. Uh, you know, I, I initially seeked him out, you know, just because I felt he was the, how do I say this? The, the unrecognized in, in what we would recognize as the Mothug sound. Like we, we know, you know, we knew Romeo, right? And I think the big piece we knew Romeo was uh, Graveyard Shift. Um, but of, of course we knew him for doing other things, but that was like the big thing. And then we knew Archie, Archie's in Too True. So we're talking about guys that were part of a group as well as making the sound. Uh, crazy Bone, you know, but Bobby... Bobby has so much to do with the fucking sound that it's crazy to me. And I was like, wow, no one really talks about Bobby Jones the way they should. Like, no one's really talking about how, like, bro, do do you realize, have you looked at this man's credits? It's crazy to me. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Looking, he's like the original, he's part of that. We've been trying to find what crafted that original sound, you know, that poet, that that ruthless sound, that pre-ruthless sound, but not quite the po- the post-ruthless sound. And Bobby Jones' name is on all the, the albums that we all love. So it's going to be neat to hear his angle. Plus, since we've spoken with a few other producers and stuff that have done it, uh, now we kind of got a feel for uh, some of the things that those guys said, and it'll be neat to hear Bobby's angle. And hopefully we'll have better questions, not better, but different types of angles to find out Bobby's angle to the whole Mothug mystery. Yeah. Yeah, I think um you know, it this, this is something, you know, different because I mean, we hey, we had a 9-hour interview with Romeo. Uh we just had a a 2-hour interview with Archie. But like I said, you know, you think of those guys when you think of most like. I mean, and 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 this isn't a, a knock at Bobby. This is more like a why the fuck aren't we talking more about Bobby Jones? Um, because this guy, bro, he, he had a lot to do with it, uh, a lot to do with the sound. Fuck, he, thug devotion, bro. Trey, take your time. Uh, Mo Murder. These are all Bobby Jones tracks. And, and the guy also, let's not leave out, he produced and worked on Faces of Death, which is always a hot topic here. Um, and, and, and I think that's important when you, when you think about the scenario, okay, because, when when people talk about producers that worked with Bone and what made the, the Bone sound, of course, you know, everybody says DJ Unique. Um, and then when you get later on, people talk about other producers as well. But when you have one that's been there since the very first record and then they're involved with later records, some of these producers walk in and they know Bone Thugs and Harmony. It was easy to make records for Bone Thugs and Harmony. They'd established that sound. But Bobby's been there from the beginning, so I think that's what's going to make, you know, that, that's just such a, a thing to know. And, and he was involved with uh, the Flesh and Bone album as well. Probably some of your, your favorite Flesh and Bone tracks. Yeah, and it seems like uh, he also got some work out of some of the things that Romeo got also, because I see he's got some Fat Joe credits, some Big Bun credits, Snoop and Corrupt. Oh, yeah and Run DMC, and these are all collabos that did stuff with Bone and DMX, and I think Badass did something with Bone. Yeah, didn't Badass and Busy Bone made an album together? Or was that yeah. uh, 
Yeah. Doug and you know, uh, yeah. Bobby produced the first bone, big pun, you know, fat Joe feature, um, you know, which was on the, the True's Humble Gosh. United Gathering Souls album. Yeah. So, and actually, I think if I'm looking, I think we might have them in here. Hold up. Bobby, you with us? Yo. All right, there he is. What's up, brother? Thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate you taking the time to uh, be our guest tonight. This is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know how long you've been dialed in. I was actually not on my duties here, and I, and I was skipping the question, so I don't know how much you heard, but we were, we were just catching in, uh, you know, the listeners up to a, a little bit of what you've done with uh, Bone. If you, if you listen to our show at all, you know that uh, we – we talk a lot of Bone Thugs and Harmony on here, and uh, we like to talk about the things that may not have been highlighted uh, during the story that, that were important, or uh, the things that really tell the, the story that is, is kind of unknown. And, and I think that your contribution is so massive and yet so underrated to the, to the fans or maybe just unknown because you weren't put out there as an artist producer the way maybe like Archie and Romeo were. So I, I think it's a, a huge story to tell and uh, I'm glad you took the time to, to come on and, and do this with us. Um, I think the first thing that I, we, we should talk about before we even talk about Bone or we, we talk about any of that is, you know, when did you start you know, just producing hip-hop in general? I mean, was it around the time of Bone Enterprise, or had you been doing it well before then? I think well well before that. I think um, there was a studio that we were working at, and it was a common studio, and um, I think we, you and I talked offline about uh, Eugene Jackson and uh, his contribution to it, and um, we were doing a lot of hip-hop there. We were working with a lot of Cleveland groups, and doing that, I was doing a lot of other production because I actually had came from playing keys with uh, the Rude Boys. And uh, pretty much like Gerald LeVert kind of pretty much gave me my start to approve me to play with the Rude Boys and everything else on road. So I think we were doing a lot of that. And I think I just came off of uh, doing the Arsenio Hall show with uh, the Rude Boys. And then we came back home and then actually got introduced to the guys. Um, through Kermit, and uh, and uh, he was like, because uh, Eugene was currently doing production on their song, and then the um, Kermit called and said, "Hey, you know, uh, we love for the, the guys to spend more time in the studio because he was working. You know, right at that time he had had them under management. He was going to put a record out, and he wasn't really satisfied with some of the earlier sound that he was getting at the other studios. So he was asking us to kind of like." put it together and, and help them get it on there. We didn't know, we did a lot of tracks. A lot of tracks didn't make that album. I definitely like to know where those masters are, but we did a lot of songs with, with everybody because Kermit wanted to include everybody in it. So even if he wasn't really satisfied with the sound at that time, he made sure that everybody was inclusive for the projects that he worked on before working with us. So um, indirectly, I think I, I think it's kind of like we picked up where everybody else left off. And uh, but I have been doing hip hop and and stuff for a long period of time before that. Yeah, you know, I I think if my understanding is right, is that they they may have started recording, you know, that project like with with Archie. I know Archie had like a, a basement studio, mm-hmm. um, and uh, 
you know, it, it was interesting to hear you bring up Eugene because, you know, that was a question I had actually had with you in, in private. And, you know, when the fans talk about Faces of Death, uh, Kermit is the go-to. We, we were actually, uh, you know, we, we jumped this show off by really talking about Kay Chill and exposing the fans to just Kay Chill and, and his contribution. Um, and Eugene Jackson is another one of those names that I think is, uh, is kind of unspoke about in, in the Faces of Death. Can you, can you just kind of talk about, you know, his, his role and, and his contribution in Faces of Death? Well, uh, Eugene was one of the producers with uh, Brothers for the Struggle. And uh, the studio that he had with his business partner, Trev, was the one we recorded at. And Eugene was already uh, maybe on song two or three um, when uh, the guys were introduced to me. And um, pretty much I was, I, I think I even played keys on a couple of those songs. And, um, but Eugene was definitely an integral part because he opened his studio to them to do endless amount of production, you know, way beyond a certain rate. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, you know, if it was $5, they got $500 worth. Yeah. So, um, he, um, so his part of actually working on and producing the songs um, is definitely an, un, an untold story because, again, he had a, he had a just amount of integral part of it as, as I did. He kind of started it off, and I kind of picked up from there as far as some of the other production of it, because then even some of the songs that he produced, I ended up either playing keys on it or mixing it um, in the studio when we got finished. So um, a lot of the stuff that he did um, that didn't make the track or did make the album was definitely part of the Bone Sound. The irony of, of the Bone Sound, how it came about, was we made things work. Like you said, Archie had a basement studio. The studio that Eugene and them, we all we all had. It was pretty much a glorified basement studio. This happened to be in a building, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and actually four walls that was there, and didn't have much in the studio. So part of the bone sound came from what we didn't have. A lot of the stuff that you know, because then again, it's like especially working with Anthony, he had a, a vision, and within the vision, sometimes we couldn't accomplish that, or we didn't have a reverb unit or we didn't have, or our compression sucked or everything else. So we kind of did the best we can with it, and that kind of developed as part of the sound. And I remember some of the doubling and tripling and actually the repeating or like the, the, the echoes and stuff like that was from lack of having a good reverb unit or a good delay unit. So it was like, no, nah, I'll just do it. I'll do it in the booth. <laughs> and so that's part of what that, that whole thing, it would go on, because then I remember later on, will be in big million dollar studio and Anthony is still doubling and tripling and repeating stuff. And it's like, and the engineer will look at me be like, you know, I can just hit this button here. I was like, but it feels good when he does it. So let him do it. <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? Like it, it had a different feel, but they, cause they'll look at us like, why is he doing that? We can just do that with this button here. Like we never had that. Let him do this. <laughs> that's funny that you say that. Cause you know, I, I, I've heard, you know, I've seen the videos of him recording, like, you know, just like doing like his, uh, like his layers and things like that. And I've, I've literally heard him the only way, 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 you know, yeah. shit like that. So, yeah. so it's crazy to hear you say that. Like, are, I know you said that there were tracks and fans have always asked, are, are there unreleased faces of death tracks? Uh, how, how many tracks do you think you produced for them roughly around that time? I think by the time I took over, and 
and not necessarily took over in a, in a sense of like doing everything, but like took over as far as like picking up where, because Eugene actually had a day job too. He actually worked at this gas station. So a lot of the stuff, they'd either like mix this or do other things. I think we had about, I think there's a good 12 to 15 to maybe even in the early, in the, in the small 20s of tracks that didn't make the project because wow. that was another thing like with, with Kermit as being an executive producer, he wanted to make sure everybody was all inclusive. So it wasn't going to be just us doing all that. So some of those songs may have got bumped because he wanted to make sure that everybody had a part in the project. Yeah. And uh, wow. it was, it, it was so funny because then like trying to figure out where, cause I don't throw nothing away, but <laughs> I know that I think at the time, I think the studio either, either stuff was put away or put in storage or maybe a flood hit a couple of times. Yeah. Cause that place, that building would always get flooded. And uh, and uh, we just never never kept you know everything after after the fact after we made the album, but I'm sure somebody has a box somewhere. I bet you if you ask Eugene, he might be finding something in his basement. <laughs> yeah, you know I I don't know. I think K. Chill says he has some tracks that uh, no one heard. I I know he sent me a picture of like a uh, a dat tape of of faces of death. So I don't know if he's got anything else on that besides what what actually came out. Um, but yeah, I know he was involved. Did, did you do any tracks for for K. Chill or any other artists like with the the Stony Burke Janet crew with you know that Kermit had? I think if, if it was if if I didn't produce it, I touched it in some way, whether it had been a mixed or played keys on it. Yeah. Um, I think there's it may be one or two like that I actually submitted, but the actual ones that actually came out either I may have either did a mix on it or I may have played keys on it. Right. Well, I mean, it's funny. Any any time we talk to you know somebody that was around during this time frame, and we talk about Bone Enterprise, you know, Kermit's the 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 big topic there, um, and what what it was like. I mean, what was it like for you working with Kermit? I mean, because he he is quite the uh, the interesting you know persona. Well, my interaction with Kermit was always in a uh, like a like an older uncle talking to like some like yo these these guys are responsibility i remember getting a call from him and saying hey what are you doing i'm like i'm in the studio he said i'm about to send the boys over and he's telling me like you know i think it was busy at the time i think he was uh having trouble at home and got kicked out and he was like i just want to make sure that you guys that you could keep them in the studio and keep them out of trouble because he was worried about they might get in trouble so i'm like yeah bring them to the studio because i was i had the night shift i was there all night every night and pretty much, so then if they, if it even seemed like, you know, then they would call and be like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, I'm at the studio. We're coming by. And sometimes we'll end up being in there two, three, four, five, six, six, seven in the morning, you know, just in there just creating. And sometimes that was off the – a lot of those were off the clock um, because it was more so like this, just keeping them busy, you yeah. know. And uh, so with Kermit, you know, giving us, giving me that, those instructions, like to kind of like look out for him, we kind of took it to heart. And that's what I kind of like made it a place where they could at least come if they weren't at, you know, Archie's or somebody else. It was like, hey, come on by, you know, whatever it do to keep you off the street. So Kermit actually looked out for him and he did, you know, like I said, whatever he paid for, you know, he, he paid, you know, he paid for it, like, you know, out of his pocket. And if it became a little extra and everything else, sometimes we just make a decision. Well, it's on the house, you know, because right. again, it's like we didn't we didn't get 
really anything done, but we did keep them. You know, it was just more so they was in the studio writing and working. And I'm not going to charge you for writing in another room. Tommy had a really, you know, I mean, he had a large uh, roster of artists at that point. Did, he did. You, did. Did you feel like he knew the guys in Bone were special, or was he just trying to, you know, punch as many tickets as possible and, and hope one became the big number? No, it was they, they were special not as artists but as kids looking out for them because we, they were like 15 and 16. So they were special to both me and him as like, myself looking out for my little brothers and for him looking out for his kids, in other words. So they were special to him, meaning like he really liked them on a personal level and, you know, whatever it, it takes to keep them out the street and keep them out of trouble, that's what he was willing to do. So I don't think he even had the, the like, these guys are special musically, because at that time he really hadn't heard anything yet because, you know, we yeah. had yet to turn in those projects. Right. Like, he heard them doing what they do, but I think he had a special place in their heart just because they were good kids, and he wanted to keep them off the street. Also, of course, around that time, uh, Diego Black is, is real involved with Faces of Death. He's kind of credited as the guy that got bone with uh, Easy when he did the show in, in Cleveland, and, and they got backstage. Did you have interaction with Diego Black at all? Uh, in passing. In passing, because again, it's like our interaction was like like I never met anybody outside the studio, like yeah. it never went to on their side of town. They always came to us, so a lot of those people I met either later or um talked to maybe on the phone or just saw in passing right right, okay, so same situation with archie did you did you work with Archie at all? During this project, or I worked with Archie more when we were in LA than I did on the project. Because again, it was more so like over the phone. Hey, I'm sending over this track, or us yeah. calling over here. Hey, Archie, do you have this? Whatever the case may be. So a lot of even even though we had interaction in Cleveland, we had a closer interaction in LA. Okay, all right, that's cool. Uh, that's kind of cool that you guys really didn't you know cross, cross paths like that while you were in the same same city and then you guys end up on the label together but we'll get there uh this is the one i, f I feel like we did the faces of death warm-up and now i'm going to get into something good i did a big interview with kate chill kate chill uh -huh. kind of broke a little uh information to the bone fans that that really kind of set the internet on fire for the bone world for a second and then archie backed it up uh that there was a fifth member before flesh that was kicked out before Faces of Death even got, you know, started recording or very early recording. Do you remember there being another member that, that got the axe? Yes. I remember. I, I, not only do I remember, I remember the, some of the conversation. And, again, like you said, like you, you, come, like you hear a conversation, you walk into the room, and it'll be like, and he did this, and we did that, and they did this, and he tripping, and they tripping, blah, blah, blah. And then you walk out and everything else. But I do remember knowing that, he didn't make the cut. And then actually even having a conversation with Kermit saying that, hey, so on and so forth, but these are these are the guys and blah, 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 and everything else, and this is what they want. So I do remember the, the it being another member, but, again, it was more so on hearsay or after the fact. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, hear, I'm overhearing a conversation. I'm not really getting into the drama of what happened, you know, but then you, you're going to talk about. 
it's, it's pretty interesting. KTL remembered it kind of as, you know, he was going to be a, uh, like a member of the group. And, you know, Archie was like, yeah, you know, there, there was a guy named Fish, but he, he was more just kind of, kind of with the crew, the crew. I didn't really look at him as like a, like a rapper. So, uh, the story's still kind of out there as to who, who he was and what his involvement was, but that it's kind of good to know that there was this, this other guy, um, this is always something I like to ask somebody because this is an interesting piece about this, and it's, it's just kind of a fun question. How'd you feel about that that bright yellow album cover for Faces of Death when that came out? Oh, well, see, th- this is the funny part about it. So my day job at the time transitioning, I was a graphic artist. Uh-huh. And what happened, it was like I was real good real early. So that afforded me to get expensive equipment, which was the keyboards and everything else. So music was a hobby that actually became a job based upon my talents as a graphic artist. So when I saw, I begged and pleaded, can can we fix it? Can we can we do something with it? Let me let me grab it. They're stretched out. Can we at least get you know like you know this my OCD just kicked in, and Kermit was like, no, kind of. For no, he didn't say no. He was he was real politically correct. He was like, well, let me see. Let me check it with the guys because then that, that was their artwork in some cases, in a, in a case in point or something like that. And I was like, well, I don't want to change the art. I just want to fix it, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, I think it never got fixed because it came out, you know, after everything else. But, yeah, I do I do remember it, it, it wasn't – it didn't sit too well. It was like, you know, because they send you something how you think, and it's almost like having your wife ask you, do you look fat in this dress? <laughs> you, you try to – you try to really figure it out, like, what's the best way I can do this? <laughs> it, it's, it's wild, because we, we talked to uh, Jason Bibb, and Jason's who drew the Grim Reaper, and, and he was uh-huh. like, you know, I drew, I drew an entire background for that. And he's like, uh, but the way we had to print things back then, you know, you had to print all those colors, so it was better yep. for them to just cut the Grim Reaper out and then have a single solid uh, color as the background. Um, but initially, he had a big graveyard scene for that Grim Reaper. Um, oh, see, that would have been so much better. He, he's actually who also drew the the remaster that Kermit did years later. So he did get his his second shot to to make sure it looked good. Um, do you do you remember at that time did Bone uh, as Bone Enterprise did they do any live shows as Bone Enterprise like locally or anything? Did anybody get to see them live during that time? I it was that, it was, you know, it was a few clubs, but the problem was is that they were too young to do any main clubs because, you know, like these are 15 and 16-year-olds performing at bars and, and, and not all ages clubs. So the ones they did get performed was like the homie handshake, sneak them in, sneak them out, or that they would let everybody else in, but then they'd say, well, we can't get busy in because busy was younger than everybody else. Yeah. And then that was like, that was issue too, you know. So they didn't do as many shows as they could have because of their age. But, you know, they did do a few here and there. It would be like, you know, and then after that, I would get like, yo, I'm coming to the studio, and they would talk about the set and whatever the case may be. I never physically saw a show, but I know that there were shows that they did before then, but they couldn't do as many as they should have because they were they were too young. Right. Yeah, you know, we, we always know that, you know, people always talk about the Band-Aid boys and the, the talent shows and, and the stuff like that, but we've always kind of wondered, like, you know, were they out there doing these those those songs live? But that makes sense, you know, with their age. 
you you had said something like little brothers uh, is there a, a an age gap between you and and bone as far as you know how old you are um damn i think it's a huge age gap the bad part about it <laughs> but um yeah i think i i think we i think realistically i think i got 10 10 on them yeah it was like archie archie was yeah. like you know i'm you know i'm older than than these guys so yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. I, I think yeah i think archie and i yeah i think we had we had 10 on because then it was like it was a a, 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 a hot, you had you had Kermit who was pretty much if you want to put in family in, in, in inspiration Kermit was that we were he was like maybe old enough to be our uncle we were like old enough to be you know a big brother to them or, or older brother and then you know they were just like you know our responsibility to to, to make sure that they would you stay out of trouble yeah, so yeah it was it's definitely a gap. As far as but they grew up so I, fast, you never you never knew it. Like you know, like you know, you're because then still again when I see like you know, Aunt's birthday or 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 Busy's birthday, and it's like, are you kidding me right now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I mentioned the the re-release to you that Kermit did. We and uh, you know the re-release, of course, he did a couple of them. He re-released the original with the with the yellow cover, and then he actually re-released it again with a brand new cover. Um, mm-hmm. and he did this around the time that Bone released um, their first and second records with uh, Ruthless. Uh, mm-hmm. I heard that re-release because of again the the strength of Bone Thugs and Harmony when he did that. It sold enough copies to to chart on Billboard. Uh, do you know if there's any truth to that as to how well that re-release did? That re-release release did really well, and it was a lot of truth because there was a lot of money owed because to myself and Archie and a lot of people. And pretty much uh, we are in California, and I'm getting calls like, yo, we need to get some representation because it's re-released. Like, I mean, and my thing is like this. If it re-released and it say it made, it sold a few hundred copies, you know, it's not you're not gonna say anything. But when you're re-releasing our work and it's selling, you know, a little bit under a million, almost yeah. like it could definitely officially get a gold or platinum status, then it's like, hey, dude, you kind of need to give us a little bit of that. I'm not gonna chase you for five dollars, but I will chase you for fifty thousand. <laughs> and and I, I mean, do we does it? Do we know? Or do you think that the Bowen Enterprise record might have been creeping up on a gold? Gold record number? I it's, it's past gold. I know it's past wow. gold because I remember I wow. had Motherfucker. The, the funny part about it, like if you look if you look at you know when you do record royalties and everything else, that's it's, that's a complex math, and only a few lawyers who are in the entertainment business know that math. Um, ironically, I I used to have one of those lawyers, and it was like you know in the same office as their lawyer. So there was a conflict of interest too, because then again, it's like their lawyer was one of in their, one of their offices was one of my lawyers, and it's like, well, I can't have you represent me because you're not going to sue your firm. But then we had a, we had more of a, because then when you sue somebody, do you go to Bone who had nothing to do with it? They didn't want the album out to begin with, or do you go yeah. to the person who's putting it out, which was Kermit? Right. And, you know, I mean, at that at that time, they would have definitely. I mean, we're talking the re-release happened in '95 and '96. Yep. Uh, so I mean, we're talking right around Eternal and and the first Mofug album. I'm sure that Bone definitely didn't want a, a hot press on that. 
Uh, never no. mind the gold gold record that they, they they were not seeing any of the bread from. Um, but but what made it worse is that, and I think Archie can test for, test for that. We were in L.A. starving, starving. Like if I if I we we'll probably get into that a little later. But we were in L.A. starving, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a work out on the in you know on sales doing very very well on the charts. Yeah. Some of that, some of those sales too. Uh, I mean, just came off pure confusion. Uh, even you know, my co-host, um, you know, he he ended up buying his very first copy of Bone Enterprise because mm-hmm. Kermit scheduled it and planned it for like the same day that E nineteen ninety nine Eternal came out. Um, yes. So I mean, it was very fucking smart of this guy and. I do believe Eternal's date may have even changed and Kermit still came out and a bunch of copies got, just got sold off pure confusion. Um, yeah. So real smart guy. Um, before we transition to Mothug, just speaking of, you know, Kermit, uh, did, did you, we, we had talked about K chill. Um, I, I know you did some production for some of the other artists, one of them brothers for the struggle. You did some work for them. Uh, one track that sticks out to me, is the devil came to Cleveland, which you know I know you produce, and Hellsend by Bone Enterprise. They got a very similar feel, not just the beat production, but even the lyrical content. I mean, was this coincidence, or I mean, is there more to this situation? It was it was coincidence in the simple fact that it was like it happened at the same time because then I I had another song with uh, Teddy Riley the same type of situation where we both had the same general ideal at the same time. And it's pretty much whoever had the bigger song is the one that gets the credit for it, even though it was the same amount of time on it. So definitely it was a coincidence because with with the Brothers for the Struggle, I I, I purposely knew what it was going to be. But when it came to uh, the Bone song, that was like an ideal bought to me. So then I said, you know I did this for them. And then I think Ant's response was like, okay, well, we'll do it a little bit different. And I'm like, all right. So then, you know, like, you know, you have, as an engineer and as a producer, you have to be, you know, you have to be, you know, equal across the board. So, again, as them being a client, I have to give them what they want, but then I had to give them full disclosure. I did this track with, you know, Brothers for the Struggle already. He hadn't heard it. So then, even when we were producing the track in their studio, I remember Trev coming in. He says, yo, that sounds really close, too. And I was like, I know. I said, I told him that, you know. But then later on, Trev was like, gave it, gave it his blessing. He like, I just, you know, it is what it is, you know, which, again, was like it could have been worse. It could have never saw the light of day, Bones part of it, or it just could have been a big blow up. As a fan, I mean, as, you know, as a Bone fan, it was kind of cool to to hear that later on, the, the Brothers for the Struggle, you know, song, and just like, it's almost like a, another chapter from another group in Cleveland. So, you know, it was, it was an interesting thing to hear. I'll make sure to link that in the description for the fans to hear. Um, I did notice while we're talking about just other groups uh, that you produced with at that time. Uh, do you remember Mr. Money Loke? Yes. So maybe you can answer this question. He he put out a record. Uh, he actually put out a record after I believe Bone had uh, 
gone on to, to achieve some fame. And he put out a record, and on the front of the cover, he's got two copies of Faces of Death in his hand, almost tumbled up. Do you, do you know, did, did he have a legitimate issue with, with Bone, or was that just kind of some, some uh, you know, maybe some studio-made issue to, to help sell records? No, he had a legitimate issue, but again, at that time, Bone was so far gone from that that either they didn't know there was an issue still, or they did know what the issue, and they are, but they they were already living their lives because then his was released locally, and Bone was like now a national act. Yeah. So even huh. though that even though there was a legitimate beef, it was like it was like they 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 weren't even it wasn't even on their radar, and if it was on their radar, they didn't care. What do you know? I mean, do you know if the beef was just that they they left? What I mean was his label home at the time. Stony Burke kind of blew up without him, or I mean, something something more to it. It was. It's definitely more to it, and it's one of those type of things where you have to ask them because anything I know was either haste, hearsay, or a rah rah conversation, or yeah. just pieces of it. Because again, it's like a lot of times, like a lot of stuff that you say. I'm aware of, but mind you, I'm in the studio like 24-7 with them, so I'm hearing it when I'm stepping out and getting a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, you know, then I'm coming back in. But because I don't forget anything, <laughs> I kind of remember the conversation. So then let's talk. We, we all, you know, we know Faces of Death, of course. They put Faces of Death out locally. It, you know, it flops. Um, they, they seek out Eazy-E. Eazy-E shows up in Cleveland. Diego Black helps get them to the back. They they find out they're going. They uh they make it to Cleveland. These guys now have a deal. Their first record is out. When they're working on their second record, you know Mo Thugs is gonna be be a thing. Before Mo Thugs, before you worked on the first Mo Thugs record, was there any work between you and Bone between Faces of Death and, and Family Scriptures where they were working on you know their like uh, Eternal album or anything like that? No, that the the East 1999 Eternal album was pretty much done in in the and in the can, so there was there was no work to be done. The how I came in was funny because again it's like Bone. I I think I was going through a personal situation. I was going through maybe a, a split, and I remember I was working with um, Deuce Mob, which is a Cleveland group also, and they like when the guys were like, yo. Let's go to this party. Um, Bone is going to be the guy. The guys are going to be down at uh, at the Mirage, and I'm like, okay. So you know, I go to the party. I'm like, you know, still pissed about this this breakup I'm going through. And I remember going in there, and I remember the guys coming in, and Lazy made a beeline. It's like, yo, Bobby's here, dude. We've been looking for you. We need you. We about to get a label. We going back to California. When can you go? And I'm like, here's my number and so on and so forth. And it was like, we leaving tomorrow. And I didn't have anything to lose and ended up, you know, like calling them. They booking the flights. You know, I'm talking to somebody. They, they getting my information and booking the flight and everything else. And about two days later, I'm in, I'm in Burbank, California, and it's about to go down. And then, wow. you know, ladies try to catch me up with them. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then that's when, you know, I – Relink up with Archie personally, like you know, face to face, and 
you know, or he's doing this and, and these guys are doing that. And, you know, you meet all the crew and everything else. And I'm like, this is really about to go down, you know, still not knowing what we're into. But, you know, you have nothing to lose. And he's like, they need me. And he's like, yo, I'm like, let's go. And it wasn't even wow. like, I didn't even know what we need you meet meant at that time. Yeah, that's crazy. So, and they, and they, and so by the time they had done that, I mean, it sounds like there had been a, a pretty significant gap of time between the, you know, seeing Bone the last time and then seeing him then. So, I mean, basically about running. About a year and a half. It was about, yeah, it was, it was little, legitimately a year and a year and a half because then I went on to hang, uh, be hanging out with Guy and did a couple of songs with some of their groups on, on Motown. And then, you know, just kind of like this coming back and forth, going back and forth to New York, and, and then, but still coming back home to Cleveland. And then that's when it, it happened. So it was, about, it was about a year and a half. So when Motugs forms, they, they want you to be part of it. You, you immediately end up in L.A. Um, mm-hmm. Did you... Like, did did you have a multi-album, like, contract with them, or did you remain independent? Like, Romeo remained independent and, and never signed on, or were you actually, like, an artist on the Milford? We had zero paperwork. The, it went, because I went from engineer, because they were like, these engineers don't know how to do it in L.A. We need you to give us what we need, what we got here in Cleveland. So I got you. So I went from engineer to composer to producer in like seconds so there was like it, it moved so lightning fast there was no paperwork and that's what kind of ended up in sadly in court because there was no paperwork and i remember it was like everything was like a blink of an eye first you're engineering then all of a sudden you're playing keys on songs and all of a sudden i'm producing the song and then all of a sudden we're doing like tracks on tracks on tracks because then they, they're still constantly working and um go ahead i, I was going to say soldier boy remembers it the, the same way that you just described it he just said it all happened so fast from mo thugs one up to mo thugs two uh he said that that time span all happened so fucking fast that he's like we, we didn't have time to think about it everything just this happened, um, and that and, and that and that's the that, that's what was the, the trippy part about it because then you know there started to be some rumblings like hey you know like we need to get paid, and then also it was like well they can't put out a record with us out of signing so it's going to happen eventually, and then the record came out without us signing. <laughs> it was like oh my god, <laughs> like what's what's really going down because then when we were in L A. There was this. Uh, there was a guy that was handling it. He was. He worked for Ruthless. His name was Steve Lobel, oh, and yeah. uh, Steve Lobel was pretty much how Kermit came to me. Is how Cliff Cateria Ruthless came to him. Look out for these guys. Keep them out of trouble. But when I when I came in, they were already kicked out of an apartment complex called the Oakwoods already, and they were in there with Jodeci. So a uh, rite of passage in L.A., when you're coming out to be a new group, it's getting kicked out of the Oakwood. <laughs> because, <laughs> so I remember they were in the same time as Jodeci, and I knew most of the people from Jodeci because then I was working with uh, a couple other uh, groups in Cleveland that actually was in that same camp. So it was, it, was, it was one of those type of things when we got there, 
was this guy named Steve LaBelle, and he was pretty much the person that was supposed to take care of us. Now, he gave all of us a pretty much a per diem on Friday. Our per diem at that time was $125 a week. So we were living off of $125 a week per diem. That was to wash clothes, to eat, whatever you needed to do, because housing was already taken care of for us. That was taken care of by the label. But that was what we, and that's what we lived off of for about a good year. And sometimes mm-hmm. 125 didn't come on time. You know, Steve would be on the road or he would be doing something else. And we not got it on a Friday. We may have got it on a Saturday or Sunday or maybe the next Monday. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that, that was a crazy time. So then that was another thing, you know, especially it, 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 as far as Archie and I are concerned, when you find out there's a record that's doing really well on the radio and you're in L.A. with you barely can keep your phone on, you know, living off $125 a week in Los Angeles. Cost of living is huge. Huge. Massive. If, if any of the listeners have never, ever been to L.A., uh, just, just breathing air in L.A. is expensive. Um, breathing air in L.A. costs you about 20 bucks. yes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, so I could, I could imagine, and even back then, even, you know, with the, with the cost of uh, living changing over – a 20-year period, it was still expensive uh, back then. You, you had said you went from Cleveland to L.A. Uh, mm-hmm. It all happened so fast. I, I imagine, was there a significant equipment upgrade for you as a producer going from your smaller studio, glorified basement studio in Cleveland to these, these massive L.A. Uh, studios? Well, no, because I was already an engineer. And ironically <coughs> speaking, Trent Reznor taught me Pro Tools from Nine Inch Nails. Wow. He was working at oh. Beachwood Studios. So I was recording oh. at Beachwood Studios. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> so that's, Trent Reznor was kind of crazy. my teacher. So I already had the engineering chops. So that's why I could go into the bigger studios. And, the, you know, by the time you told me how to turn on the board, I was running it. Yeah. Hey, that's awesome. So that. That's, I mean, so that makes sense why they needed you. They, they knew you could walk right in. You, you knew what they wanted. You'd already worked with them previously, uh, and you had an understanding of, like, you know, how crazy you work. Um, I've heard that during the Mothug's time that uh, you were brought in to, to try to focus on the R&B side, like Trey. I mean, was that the situation? No. I'm, like I said, I mean, the thing is, like, the, the first step was engineer first and foremost. But then, as Crazy wanted to get into production, it was like I was his hands. He would whisper me a melody, and I would play it. He would, he would word off uh-huh. and everything else, so I was his hands his drum machine. So that became everything across the board. Um, the R&B stuff was, like, cool, but I never, like I said, doing Trey's R&B stuff was like, like an afterthought because, you know, it was like more so we were – Everybody had a need. So it was like, you know, whoever got into the studio and needed their projects done, we did across the board. So doing a lot of stuff for Trey and R&B side was cool, but because they were so far, they were out on the road with the guys because the guys still were touring. So they were out on the road. They were the girls that sung the lead for, you know, Crossroads. And and also, you know, so they, they were in and out too. So they didn't get, legitimately as much as as much as studio time as everybody else did 
because they were traveling with the guys, and also, you know, it was a male-dominated situation. So, like, the girls need to get in sometime. And they're like, yeah, we'll give them a chance. But, you know, they their chance, they got in when they fit in. It seemed like Trey was going to be the initial big push from the label, and, and I've always speculated that, you know, a huge part of that was, was due to, to what you had just mentioned, the success of that intro of the crossroads in the church, which yeah. I'm singing. Um, I mean, is that pretty much it? I mean, because that was so huge. Everyone knew that part, their part of the, the video. Um, and, and, and I think that people assumed that they would be much bigger uh, than, than they were. Do you know what it was that prevented them? Because they kind of fell out of the Mothug fold even before, you know, any of the other OG Mothugs started falling out. It was it was it was a it was a a well, I'm trying to put this politically correct. It was no fault of their own, but yet they were victim with A being girls and like so they were the only girls and like I think it was like fifteen, twenty of us that was out there in there. So they that also they were out on the road with bone, so they didn't get their, you know, legitimate studio time. Also some of them may or may not have had relationships with some of the members of Bone. So now your girlfriend now, so that immediately puts you on the back burner. <laughs> immediately. And they, and they didn't really have like, uh, you know, like two true, two trues, two females, of course, but they had Archie yeah. there to kind of like... Uh, yeah. Archie, 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 was, was, Archie was the reason that true, two true can move forward because Archie wasn't going to have that situation. He was going to make sure that his group got taken care of. You know, because like and bone when all of us are out there, a closed mouth didn't get fed. And Archie had to, you know, Archie had a big voice. So Two True was going to get their studio time, which yeah. actually kind of bumped Trey, who was actually the heir apparent, to getting their, getting their stuff. But, you know, Archie has to take care of it, you know, so that's a good business move on his part. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's always interesting, too, because I think of what Trey probably wanted as a solo when I say solo, meaning the three of them, uh, record is probably significantly different than what Bone fans probably wanted to hear, um, you know, because Bone fans really knew them, of course, just from the, the Mothug album. Uh, and then those couple of features, they did a first of the month remix and then the Crossroads intro. And, and my guess is their album would have sounded even more like Take Your Time, uh, you know, yeah. probably even past that. Uh, and, you know, and, and we did a lot of those type of songs. We did songs like here. We did a lot of those type of R&B bone songs with them singing. Um, the funny part about it, about the lead at Crossroads, the Crossroads we know today is a remix. It's not the original Crossroads that right. was on the album. Right, of course, yeah. Now, the, yeah. The, the backtrack, Bone was at home in Cleveland at a Christmas break. The original Crossroads is still on the album. Ant had a melody in his head. He runs immediately down. We are in the studio, and he's like, I need something for this beat. So I'm pulling it up, and I'm playing it. The actual original bed for Crossroads is now with Flesh and Bones, World So Crew. The Crossroads original, the original remix for Crossroads is now now Flesh and Bones, World So Crew. You know what's because crazy Anthony, to me about Anthony hearing that? Needed, he, needed, he needed a bed to write to. So I'm playing something. I'm pulling it out. I'm trying to 
you know, I'm trying to pull it up as fast as I can. So I'm laying on the drums, laying on the keyboards. In fact, he's coming up with the Crossroads mix while I'm putting together the song. And then the rest of the guys are on their way. Busy comes in next. He's ready to roll. He's like, is it done yet? So Busy go off, get a smoke on, Amp's putting down the vibe. Lazy and Wish come in, and, you know, they put down the pretty much the basic pieces. The song never really got a complete, just a scratch of it. So, and Amp was like, cut that up, because that's where he was working, two-inch. So I remember cutting it off the reel and giving him a two-inch, like a master, to take with him yeah. in a small box, because they had to get back to L.A. Yeah. So I'm, we're still in Cleveland at this time. So I'm cutting it off the two-inch, I'm giving him a small box, and then that's when they went ahead and did the Crossroads remix and bumped off the the original Crossroads on the album because they reprinted them up because the, the remix took off like fire. And then what makes matters even worse is that Crossroads beat out the Beatles record. Yeah. It, it broke record. It beat out the Beatles record. The bad time, the bad part about it, it was short-lived because then – I think it was like a week and a half, then Boys to Men came out with the end of I'll Make Love with the end of the road or whatever they think, and that bumped in. But really, but th- so then Boys to Men, because that song stayed on the charts longer at number one, gets the credit for beating out the Beatles and Elvis' record, but actually Bone Thug was the one that first to do it. Now, one of the things that they did do, which kind of, kind of was aggravating, was that um, the record company stop making production of the single because they wanted to use those sales for the album. So that song could even broke more records had it still continued to be a single. But Rufus was like, hey, we needed to make it an album. Then I remember being in L.A. at that time and off the record having to make a radio version of that, cutting the song down at the studio called Artemis. So it was like, hey... You get a call from the group, hey, can you make this a radio thing? So I'm like, all right. So you hear the original song, and then they made a cut, and then Ruth was like, can you, and then they're not getting the call from Relativity, can you make even another cut of it? So the cut on the album is an unaccredited another cut of the cut that they already had made. <laughs> wow. So That's yeah. crazy. And, and I mean, we, you know, we as fans know how many transitions that that song went through, um, yeah. you know, but, but I don't think we knew there was that many. And, and I just want to clarify for people listening, are, are you saying that possibly somewhere there could be a version of the crossroads that's, that's over a, you know, a, a world so cool, you know, beat or close to? I had the master and I still might still have the master. But I've had I had the master for forever, and I think the last time I saw it was maybe a couple years ago. Um, still in a two inch master, um, wow. in a small box, a, a small unmarked white box. And um, there's a version of that, but then there's also a longer version of Crossroads that I think I have on a DAT tape because I had to study it to figure out what other cut to make because it still wasn't under radio. And wow. I remember the engineer at the radio and him and I became friends and worked on quite a few albums after that. Um, but I remember like I felt bad because I was redoing his work. But then, you know, you get the call from Relativity, you know, and it's like, hey, I need you to do something. And what's even funnier is that, you know, when we were doing the Bone, we were doing the Mo Thug album and we weren't getting paid. 
and I had a little bit more legal knowledge of the business, and I'm like, yo, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a louder voice. So now the guys are getting upset. Not only getting upset, they're getting mad, and, you know, and it's like, you know, F Bob, he tripping. Why are you saying you did this? And I was like, but I did do that. I understand that, but, you know, we did this and everything else. I'm like, but okay. So there became a situation where sooner or later we were going to see each other in court. And that this, that broke my heart because, like, you know, why are we fighting about this? This, You know, you, we know what who did what. But then what made it even funnier is that I'm still getting calls from the label. So now the Mo Thugs album is, is done. It's the about they, 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 the, no, the first one. Yeah. They're, they're picking out records, and I get a call from New York. It's like, hey, I need you to mix this album because it's not coming in in time. And they secretly gave me the masters, the relativity, and flew me to New York. And I missed, the ma- I missed that whole album. At uh, private island, no, not at private. At, at um, at uh, uh, in New York, and uh, in, it took about three or four days to mix the whole album down because they really needed it done. It was like more of those type of things where I would get, and I was getting more of those calls from the industry, like, "Hey, I need you to do this. We're going to pay you X amount of dollars. We can't give you credit, but the money was right." So you know, if someone says, "I'm going to give you fifteen, twenty, thirty k," and I've yeah. been starving for like a whole two years everything else, you you go ahead and get that. So I'm in New York. I'm mixing the album. Steve LaBelle sees me at the hotel. I was like, hey, I need to get that guy's album. Yo, they're still kind of mad at you. I said, I get that, but I need to give him the album, you know, so he can listen to it. Because I'm not going to turn this in to Relativity and let them run it without their approval. Mad or not, they need to see it. So I remember coming to the hotel. I see Steve LaBelle. Steve LaBelle they're about to get the award. For Crossroads, you know, I have the Motug album master on a CD. They're about to go the, the American Music Awards perform. That's when they're all in white, right? American Music Awards was the Grammy. Yeah, American Music Awards, right? Yeah. Well, they they did the white a couple times. So yeah, you're thinking about the, the AMAs, yeah. Yeah. So the AMAs, Steve Bell gives me a ticket to the AMAs for bringing an album. I see and I'm like, hey, you need to hear this. This is your album. He's like, thank you. We really didn't say much. And kind of like parted ways, I'll meet y'all in New York. Funny part about it, it was like, I'm backstage. I get there just in time, ready for the performance. The guys go on stage. I'm backstage. I'm a mess. First of all, there's two big criers in this. Michael Jordan cries. So does Terrell Owens. So forget y'all for telling y'all that I'm sitting there. I'm in a tear. (laughs) I'm in a tear. All of a sudden, behind me, I'm like, what's out here? What's up? It's Tupac because I had just got finished work with him at Artemis Records. Too, but I was like, hey, congratulations. That's dope. We got to do some more work together. Give me a hug. He goes off. He's about to do He had the gray suit on with the same, with the, with the gold medallion. He goes on. He's about to go ahead and uh, get to his seat because we're backstage. The guys just come off, and that was pretty much the last time I saw Tupac before the Vegas thing. Wow. So, yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. That, so that I mean I, I'm guessing that had to have been probably early 96, mid 96 somewhere in there because yeah. of course you know Family Scriptures dropped at the the end of uh 1996 it dropped in yeah. November of 96. Yeah. Um I'm guessing you're simultaneously 
while you're working on that, you must also be working on Flesh and Bones record because his came out November 19th of 96. So those records dropped very close. So, I mean, were you simultaneously working on these records? This is what, this is what happened. Like the studio and the label was worried about me because I think I hadn't slept in five days. I'm producing Bone stuff. I'm producing other stuff that they want to get for their next album. And then they had to work in all tracks. It's foundation tracks. Don't know if it's going to make it because Unique's still working with them, you know, 100%. But then, right. like, you know, Anthony's using whatever I have as, like, a bed to write to. So it's kind of like I'm, like, the junior varsity for the Bone album, for the next Bone album. Then I'm working on Mo Thug. He wants me to focus on the Mo Thug stuff. And then um, I'm getting, you know, I'm working on Flesh's stuff. Now, at that time, when we were in L.A., when I, I think I skipped out, Flesh and Bone and I were roommates. Because when we we all in, we had about, we stayed in this apartment complex in Burbank, and we had like about 8 to 12 units. But some of them are bunked up, like two or three people, like two true stayed together, you know, uh, a graveyard shift stayed together, maybe two units. So then, you know, it was like there was only one left. It was like, well, you can stay with Flesh. So I say Flesh. I meet this girl at the time, you know, and we're, we're roommates. So then Flesh and I was, you know, locked in working on his album. We had a concept ready and everything else. We had the whole thing laid out. But what happened, the label was like, you know, are you going to be okay? So then all of a sudden there was this guy that's hanging around the studio. His name is Damon Elliott. He said he was Dionne Warwick's uh, uh, child and everything. You know, you stayed in the studio. He's a big fan. He's a big yeah. boy. So he befriends the guys. And then Romeo's in off in the other studio working on a song. I don't know what track he was working on, but he's working on some of his own solo stuff. So I'm like, Romeo, I need you to play on this song. So he's playing on Flesh's World So Cruel. And then I was like, well, I need you on this other song too, which was, um, I think, Trey's song. And then uh, he played on another song for me too. And then he befriended the guy. So then... Um, Damien Elliott's manager, his name is uh he's um he uh Glenn Glenn, he comes in and he's like, Hey, I wanna get I wanted to play some of his tracks for the guys. Now, I already know the guys and pretty much they're they're passive aggressive, meaning that they ain't gonna tell you your shit sucks, but either you like it or you don't. So they kinda like they were like indifferent. I couldn't get a beat on this back when he was playing the tracks. You know, 'cause then I you know, like Ann and I had this eye contact, and it was like, if he liked it, it's good. But if he didn't like it, it's like, get him out of there. So, but they didn't give me nothing. So Damon's playing the tracks and everything else, and they were like, well, hey, you know, I want to submit some tracks too. And I'm like, you know, Steve was like, you know, this guy wants to submit some tracks for the group. What do you think? And I'm like, well, I can't do everything because then I'm getting, you know, I'm, like I said, the, the labels worry like, hey, you're doing, you know, you've got to get some rest. You can't be doing two albums simultaneously. You know, we, we're doing about four or five, and they're t double teaming me. So I'm getting the studio at 9 a.m. I maybe get a little chance for lunch. I'm about to leave at 5, but nope, another crew is coming in. So then you're there at 10, and it's like, oh, nope, the third shift crew is coming in. You know, they need to write. So Damon, I kind of like, open the door and let Damon go ahead and produce some stuff. And, you know, he got more tracks in there and maybe then I wanted to let him in there, but you know, I didn't care at the time. I figured it was enough to go around. And then, you know, Damon Elliott got production on Flesh's project because um they 
it, it wasn't really on the back burner, but it was like it was a lot of stuff. They wanted to make sure that I got that Mo Thugs first and Flesh's project, even though that was my baby because then it was like him and I had already connected. We were already on one accord, and we already knew what we wanted to do. But, you know, Damon, you know, got in there and got those tracks done, and it was what it was. So, you know, it was like that, my, my production on Flesh and Bones album got cut in half because there still was so many other things that, that we needed to do and that they wanted me to do. And plus the fact that the label was sending me masters and flying me off to New York to go ahead and mix these projects and then flying me back. And it was like, you know, you don't, you know, it's like flesh, like, where you at? And I'm like, man, you know, I had to tell him, like, yo, I'm in, I'm mixing the guy's albums, <laughs> you know? And he's like, all right, well, when you get back, I'm going to do these songs with Damon, you know, and all this other, you know, all this stuff. And those songs ended up making the album. I remember when talking to Romeo, he, he pretty much remembered it almost uh, identical as far as, uh, you know, uh, Damien Elliott and how he got involved. And um, he was just like, there was just so much shit to do. He's like, you know, I, I wanted to be involved with that record. Uh, he's like, there's just, there, there wasn't enough time to do everything. Um, and eventually it opened the gates to bring in, you know, more people. I, I noticed that while talking about the, uh, the Flesh and Bone record, Truth on Blue, United Gathering Souls, that he kept saying the label. Now, we know, of course, that that record was his solo debut, and it uh-huh. came out on Def Jam. Did Def Jam really have anything to do with, like, the recording piece, or was that pretty much like a, a Mothug record that just got submitted to Def Jam and put out? So I'm in New York still mixing projects. I'm actually doing now. I'm, I'm, I'm working with Run DMC at the time. You know, Jam Master J was like, hey, I heard you guys out in L.A. struggle. Do some production for me. So Jam Master J, through Steve LaBelle, would throw me some cash, and I would do some production for him. I get a call from Russell. Russell was like, I heard you in town. I need to talk about this Flesh and Bone record. So Russell flies me in. I mean, it has to come down to Def Jam album. So I'm sitting in there with Russell, Leo Coyne, and we're talking about the what's my view for the Flesh album. They hadn't heard anything, but I had to ma- I had some of the songs on me. So I'm playing it. The executives come in. This is the first time they're hearing it. They sing in our praises. They sing in Flesh's praises. This is going to be amazing. They're already doing the treatment for World So Crew in their head. But the song wasn't finished yet. It was like, I'm still working on it. I ain't really put the finishing touches on it. So then Run comes in. Run like, you know, because he comes in to pick me up to go to the, the studio for it, finish his song. Run, we actually ended up doing the foundation of that big song, What's Going On? We had all the artists. Oh, yeah. I, I did the foundation start beat with Run. So that became that, the big thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and, but it was like a few years later that came out, 9-11 happened. And then that came out, and I was like, hey, I still got this track that never came out on Run. And they, you know, everybody else jumped on it, and became, that became history. But I remember being in the office with Russell and Run, and they're fighting. Run like the song as it is. Bobby don't touch it. Russell was like, melody, hook, 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 hook. I want the song to get to the hook as fast as possible. He wanted me to cut, you know, Flesh had about 32 bars before we got to the hook. He wanted yeah. me to cut it to four bars. I'm like, I can't cut it to four bars. You, he'll never get to the point. So he made it like, well, give me eight. Says double time. You got to at least give me 16. Give me 16. They fighting back and forth. 
So Russell and Ryan are fighting in the studio. Me and Cliff, Kateri, I mean, not, no, me and Leo Korn are off in the corner trying to referee them because they're arguing about the state of World So Cruel. <laughs> so, you know, Ryan was like, I got to be on this track. You know, and I was like, well, you're going to get a part on it, but still let me do what I need to do. So it was like Def Jam, you know, to answer your question, Def Jam had a lot of input in it, and they actually heard the album, uh, ironically, a little bit before Bone heard most of the um, the album. Because then I had it on, because like, I just happened to have it in my pocket because I was working on another project. It, it seemed like Def Jam and, you know, Rightfully so. This was a smart move at that time, right? You got you got flesh and bone. He is like the uh, he's like the bone that isn't in the deal. We all know that he's he wasn't, the fifth you know, So you know you got you got this fifth member kind of floating around, but he's he's heavily connected. And of course, the crossroads is blowing up at this time. Um, it was a smart move to take him on. It seemed like world so cruel was the uh, the Def Jam attempt to really cash in on, on the success of the Crossroads. I mean, even the video, uh, you know, you got a guy in the long trench coat leather jacket with the black glasses and the hat, and he looked very much like, you know, the, the same guy that was in the Crossroads who became, you know, the, the angel at the end. Um, I'm, 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 I'm going to stop you right there. So that, like I said, all Russell is in his office standing on his desk. He was like, Bobby, whatever you do, I want to I want to I want to crossroads too. You my man. So then he was like, let's go out to dinner. So we go out to dinner, and it's Brit. We went to the rest, restaurant where Britt Ratner was there. Britt Ratner is we at his table. There's models everywhere, and they're like, this is my man, and he's gonna make me another crossroads too. It was like dope. So then we go to now to this wine cellar. And he was like, I just want to, I want to talk to you more about the song before I let you go. I don't drink, but this wine cellar, they had this, like, three million year old wine down there. And I was like, nah, I'm cool on that. And he was like, you know, he's giving his last vision to make sure that we do it. But his main thing was that he wanted a crossroads to in any worst ways possible. Whatever I could do production-wise, he wanted to make sure that he got that vibe. And I'm like, I, like I told you in the office, I got you. I don't know how many times you need to bring this on, but I got you. And, then and, and of course, you know you're 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 sitting on a beat that that you literally know was the fucking crossroads. Uh, you know that they really did a you know a, a version over this beat. So of course you're you're truly sitting on the crossroads two beat uh, to do this. And um, they wanted to make sure I was on board because I told them I had that. That's what got that's what that's what ended my session with Run at the studio because Run was on priority. I'm working on his solo project, and that's was like, yo, whatever you do, I need him in there. He's sick because I, I just, you know, like, I, because, again, it's like I'm not really knowing the complexity of what it is, so I'm matter-of-factly saying I got the original track that Crossroads is made on. It's real so cruel. He's on you. So I'm going to make sure that you're going to get what you do. He's like, what? All of a sudden, there's a Lincoln in front of the studio, and we're on our way to Def Jam. <laughs> so then he's like, yeah, I'm playing it for him. And he was like, "Yep, that's it." And then, like, we playing the song. And mind you, I still hadn't put the t- I hadn't put the hook on it yet. You know, it was just like it was kind of like you know, Fle- I haven't cleaned up Flesh's vocals yet. They just wanted to make sure they heard it because again, it was like they can't believe that they're about to luck up with gold twice. I was like, "I got you, I got it." You know, so then they wanted to make sure 
So that whole night, you know, I'm, I'm more like, let me get to work. And they're trying to wine and dine me to make sure I'm on board. And like, dude, I was on board when you had me in the studio. You know, but again, like, this is, they, they don't know me. I don't know them. So they, they went above and beyond to make sure we got what we got. And they got it. They got world, they got world so cruel. And they got the whole treatment and everything else. And that was specifically supposed to be Crossroads 2. Yeah, every every time I see that video, I'm like, this, this is almost like a uh, like a spinoff. If you've ever seen like a movie and then you see a spinoff, I'm like, this is a fucking look. This, this has got characters from the crossroads in this video. Um, I just think that you know at that time, and you know, I, I feel like that's probably Flesh's uh, best best record. Uh, but at that time, I just don't think that he could, you know, carry that on his own. And that's probably why they threw Rev Run in it. And I think that's probably well. No, I mean, well, no, no, well. Let, let me get back to you. So then, Flesh is like the fifth member, and he did a lot of work with Bones' album, but couldn't with Ruthless. Tamika still right. wouldn't sign him to the group. Right. So Def Jam had that whole deal, and it was supposed to be a one-off and everything else. And there was crazy. Actually, was a, a vote there, but now Ruthless is not letting Crazy be on that album. Now and then, crazy kind of you know, crazy you know, because crazy's very smart, soft spoken. But when he says something, he means it, and I always listen to him. So crazy was like, but you know, kind of like that was our song. I said it is, but we gotta let him have it, you know, to let you know because this is what they want to do, and it's gonna extend, it's gonna extend the life and everything else. Whatever I remember saying that I remember having to talk with crazy, like, you know, kind of like. He, he didn't want the song to go that far. And I was like, dude, the, the powers that be already had that. And this is where it's at. And he kind of like went along with it, begrudgingly or not. But he actually had a verse on there and supposedly um, Wish wanted to be on the track too. But because Ruthless was like, you know, clamping down and like, oh, no, you guys are not going to make Crossroads 2 for another label. They yeah. kind of banned it from there, and then Ryan had to be on the track and everything else. And that was like a Steve Mobile fixing it and making sure that it worked and went through. Disclaimer, we are two regular guys who love to talk Bone Thugs and Harmony. We do not represent Bone Thugs or any Bone affiliate. We are also not Bone Thugs experts. The views and information you hear in this podcast may be based on personal opinion. Please feel free to leave corrections and clarifying information in the comments. And enjoy.
Yeah, I, hey, I will say, I mean, it would have been great to have Bone on it. I thought Rev Run brought the fucking pain. That's, that's I think, one of the best, you know, Rev Run verses. I thought he really, you know, to, to be on a track with Bone, you either get on a track with Bone and, and you can do it, or you get on a track with Bone and you find out you, you shouldn't have been on the song. And uh, I thought Rev did a great job, you know, keeping up. Um, it, it's it's wild to me that that you know that this is all going on simultaneously while you guys are still you know doing mo thugs because world so cool it, it did its thing I mean this song legitimately for for flesh uh, it it certainly didn't do crossroad numbers but you know it did its thing for flesh at the same time you guys got thug devotion going on um, you're involved heavily with thug devotion. Um, it's probably one of the biggest Mothug singles to come out, just coming in behind maybe like Ghetto Cowboy and probably Todd with like All Good. But that song is very different because it's so much of the camp. What What's the process in making a, a track like that with like, you know, such a huge array of artists on it? Again, it was me and Anthony in the studio. I'm putting down, I'm, I'm going through beats. I'm playing that. Now, I already had that beat for something else that I was working on. I was thinking about Flesh, but it had another, another project because then Damien Hall from Guy was like, hey, I'm about to work on my solo project. I need you here. But, and it was so funny because then I, we were, I remember when Rex and Effect was working out and they had a little young Pharrell working with Teddy and them, and the guys had already broke up and everything else. And they was like, I need something that sample written like what they got. And I was like, so I was working on a few beats, but then Anthony heard it. He was like, I want that, you know, started working on it. So he's like, this is going to be our anthem. And he started, he put down the, he put down the main part of it. Then Trey came in and they put down their piece. But then the person who shined like best was Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy comes on, put on his piece. And Soldier Boy's wasn't really the first, he wasn't really the first verse. I think he was like, Ant was first, and I think Soldier came on a little bit later. And I put that, I put him at the head because he just killed it. And it was so funny because then it's like I had to do a lot of rearranging of that whole song because then, like, the order that you hear now was not the order that it was, you know. And Trey's part wasn't really as big as it was until, like, after I had to do so many cuts. And the cuts started getting sloppy. I had to use Trey vocally to fix some of my mistakes. Yeah. So I they think, came I... in a lot. They came in a lot apart. And then I actually had to have Ant come in and fix some of the mistakes. And he's like, you know, what you need is that I just need you to come in a little part and fix everything else. Because, again, it was like it was, it was so many people on there and we had to cut it. And, of course, even back then, they, you know, that song in the original speaking, was, the original piece was like six minutes and 30 seconds. And we they needed a they needed a four minute song and it was already six thirty so I'm cutting people's verses in half and everything else and of course you know like at that time I self claimed myself I'm the baby killer he you know those songs your babies and I have to come in here and tell you that hey you may not get a twin <laughs> you know you might just get half of what you did I was the baby killer it was like you know you had to I, you had to like you know not be married to the song. And it was like a lot of verses, like a lot of sleepless nights trying to fix that mix because it was it was a lot of people on there and it was actually long and it actually, it felt good at 6.30. So 
So now just just imagine having to take that feel good feeling and cut it off, you know, cut a quarter off of it. I don't know about other fans. I I absolutely love how much Trey is on there. I really loved any time Trey came in the I, I'm not a big take your time fan because I think that's what Trey wanted to do. But any time Trey was used in the straight Mo Thug capacity to, to compliment Mo Thug song, they blew my mind every time. Like I, I, I was like, this this is so good. It also held them back a little bit, of course, because it made them a um a complimenting feature versus a its own piece. Um one of the things you, you had just mentioned that stirred up a thought in my mind, uh, as far as cutting it down. On the intro to Thug Devotion, Craig's Bone shouts out Graveyard Shift, Poetic Hustlers, Too True, Trey, Ken Dog, and Soldier Boy. And we know this, of course, to be the core of Mo Thug. But he also mm-hmm. shouts out Aftermath. Uh, Aftermath is featured on Flesh and Bone's you know, first two records, uh, but wasn't on that song or anywhere on Mo Thug. You know why Aftermath uh, was shouted out? I mean, was he going to be a Mo Thug, or were they going to be Mo Thugs? Were they on that song? Um, it was it was one of the it was one of the things that they didn't get a chance to get in the studio, so it was a timing issue, and also I already had to make deadly cuts on there. I'm talking about like verses and pieces that you know to get everybody on there, because again it's like you know I I also felt that like hey you know Bone has to have a, a major presence to bring this out, just like you know like some of the some of the naysayers when Jay-Z would come out with his artist, his biggest song, were the records that he was on with his artist. Yeah. So I kind of felt the same thing with with, with the Mo Thugs family. It's like Bone has to have a presence on this, a, a, a major presence and such, to make sure that this song does what it needs to do. And the bad part about that song is that song could have did major, major numbers, but got his ass kicked by, well, not by much, but still stifled the sales with the Tupac. Machiavelli. Yeah. So that so that song debuted at number two, and I remember getting a call from the labels like, "Damn, Bob, we thought we were gonna get you at number one." I said, "I lost to a ghost," because two. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's like, "We'll get him next time," and it was like, you know, because they were gonna make me a billboard little uh, thing, you know, like a little plaque that you get with the billboard and everything else, and I'm like. No, it's cool. You know, that's the nature of the beast. Let's, 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 let's do some numbers on this. And the song did what it did. And the, the album went platinum and gold and did what they needed to do with it. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. You can't beat Tupac. <laughs> nah, even even today, it's hard to beat Tupac 20, yeah. 20 plus years later. Do you, do you know, was Aftermath, were they, were they planned to be Mofug artists? At, at that time, they ended up with with flesh later on. But do you, do you know if it was planned yeah, for them it, to also it, be it, it uh, What happened is that the label had too many people out there. It was like you already got a million. Now you're going to add a million and one. So aftermath didn't get the hundred percent support that they needed because of this, it was there was no more money, and everybody was already out there and we was already causing havoc and getting kicked out of apartments and. Records studio time going over budget, so then to add another third, like they just supposed to be out there, that yeah. just made it hard. So they just they just got the short end of the stick because of business. It was nothing personal. It was just it was like the business, you know. They, they come out there. They ended up with Flesh. They ended up on yeah. Flesh's uh, first two albums, and you know, even on his label. So it, you know, it worked out for them. Um, let me ask you: in this whole time frame that you're doing all this, uh, I you know I know you work side by side a lot with Crazy Bone. 
Um, but who who was your favorite Mothug artist to work with during that time? I think everybody because I and not this is not a politically correct answer. It was like everybody because we had I had relationships with everybody, even though it, Mothug is kind of split where Archie had the production that he was working with, and I had the production I was working with, but then still we all crossed over. So everybody, you know, it was like one big family. Like you can't say which kid, and I and this bad part about it, I always use this, like you know this one kid that you think is an asshole, <laughs> but you can't, but then like with, with the family, like everybody, we all legitimately had a different relationship in the studio. So across the board, you know, um, everybody, we had 100% um uh the same type of relationship but then there's sometimes like like soldier and I clicked a lot because he he had a he had that melody that we needed um along with of course uh uh M, so but everybody else was just more raw rhymers where soldier just had like he had a flow so like he could actually have been the most uh uh crazy you know, as far as like doing the hooks for a lot of people, but then again, everyone, you know, after the Mothug's album, were supposed to get their own solo albums. Yeah. I, so I noticed, to answer your question, I can't. There's everybody across the board was a hundred percent the same amount of love um, in the studio in different ways. I mean, that you know, it makes sense because, we, and and this almost in my eyes could have also hurt the the solo efforts, which is. The first Mothug album is so good. Even the second one is really good. But the first one is so good that as a fan, after you hear that, you expect all those different things that made up those Mothug songs. So by the time you got to one of their solo records, meaning Too True, or Poetic Hustle, or even Graveyard Shift, no matter how good it was, it was still missing something because you were used to hearing you know, something like Thug Devotion or even like, you know, the, the big family scripture song at the end, uh, that outro, you were just used to all those different things. Um, you know, so it, it took all those sounds, I think, you know, to, to make it up. So it makes sense. Uh, did you work, you know, with Romeo a lot? I noticed that he's credited for doing like a lot of guitar on a bunch of songs and some of them were songs that you worked on as far as Mothugs and Flesh and Bone. Did you get an opportunity to work with him a lot directly or did, did you guys kind of just in crossing? What, what, Romy and I became friends after we were working on the Flesh and Bone, well, even before then, but like closer friends when, we were working, when I was working on the Flesh and Bone album because then Romeo was my ears when I had to go to New York and secretly mix these other projects for Bone. And um, he would come back and was like, this happened, that happened, so on and so forth. And, you know, pretty much had to take the reins because he had some engineering skills, you know, but then also he was he was an instrumentalist. And um, so a lot of the, the projects that Romeo and I worked on were what you heard. And when it came to the second album, we had already now I had to not at that time I had to, you know, forcefully, forcibly be lawyered up. Now the the rift became more now it's a legal battle. And we're starting our preliminary in court. And the second album's ready to be done. And with me and everybody, other members of the group, we already had a plan of the second album, what's it going to be. It was going to, it really, that second album was, was going to blow everything out the water on paper where we already had it. And I was already locked in rhythmically to know what we were going to do with it. And he already had 
Big Dreams of it. And also some of the songs that we were going to go on about that album actually ended up on Ant's solo project because, I, it, you know, it was like I wasn't there. And Romeo was like pretty much – Romeo was, took took my reins after, you know, the fact that, you know, everyone's hating on you because you take it in the court. And now everyone's mad at you. And it's like, you know, I'm in court. I mean, I'm, well, I'm not in court yet, but I'm going through litigation. And it's like at any given point, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm not, you know, why are we in court? Like, I don't, I don't want to be here because like you do, it's like now you're suing your, your, your brother and sister. And that's you remember what year roughly this was. I know Family Reunion came out in '98, so I'm guessing this must have been '90, late '96, mid '97. '97 started the preliminaries, and that's when it was like now, it was like I was still in Burbank. I was still there on the complex. And I was still in Burbank. I think Flesh and I was still roommates. He was about to get his own place, but then I, me and the guys weren't talking. At that so, point. So, wait, so you're li- you're living with flesh while you're in the middle of a, a like a lawsuit with with Mofa, so, with bones. Yeah. yeah. Did did that create strain between you and flesh? No, because it wasn't like you know I wasn't suing him, and it wasn't yeah. like a situation like our album was like uh, uh, the stuff we did with uh with Def Jam. It was already that was already done, and we would, it was already a smooth thing. We were working on more songs after that, but it was a stress, you know, seeing the other guys and not speaking or seeing the other crew, you know, from both us, because again, it's like a family. And then you got one family member that's like being a dick right now and suing. But then the bad part about it, you know, like Archie had to get, you know, he had to get his too. He's like, well, I know you lawyered up. I got a lawyer up, you know, and that sucks, you know, because then again, like, you know, Archie and I were in a, in a weird place because like now we're suing our family members and then all to the purpose. And it's Archie. Archie uh, remembers, you know, he's like, hey, by the time Family Reunion came out, Too True literally only has one song on it. And he's like, by the time that record came out, we were no longer even on the label. So he's like, it's released, and we're we're literally not with them. Um, yeah, and that was because, like I said, because he, he called me and asked me, like, what do you need to do? And I'm like, well, I can't, you know, it's like, we don't want to have this. I don't want to give you my lawyer just because of this makes them be teaming up on them. You got a lawyer up, and I told him exactly what happened. You know, I'm giving him, I'm giving him the, the process or, or where, where I'm at with the with the litigation, at this at this point in time. I'm giving, and then he's going in, and then I remember showing that now we have to go into court, and they had their lawyer, and they had our lawyer, and our lawyer is like, Bob needs X Y Z A B C, and I'm sitting there like. Damn, you know, it's like because it's like it was a huge number. It was a big number, oh, a yeah. big big number. And I'm sitting there like, I don't want to do this because I already knew that they were going through financial situations because Relativity wasn't paying them what they needed to get. And I remember, I I remember like trying to shout at them like, hey, I got this lawyer and we're going through this all this stuff. And I know I know we're fighting, but you guys. Your money is not where it needs to be, you know. And they're like, why are you tripping, blah, 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 and everything else. So then how do you tell somebody that just got a $325,000 check that that's not enough money? And you're, no, you're not even 21 yet. Because their $325,000 checks should have been half a million. Yeah. 
based upon the math, should have been even close to a million. But they weren't getting their money right. Because then now I'm having this lawyer who's like teaching me the 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 math and how to do how you figure out what you're doing royalty based. And he's going in there and he's like like I can't I'm not going to sue them for that much money. You know, let's work out something. So we worked to a settlement and I remember seeing Lazy at the court. And again, here you go, like I'm 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 welling up. My throat's getting big because like that's your little brother that you see. And he's like, "Yo, Bob, let me talk to you for a minute." He says, "I know we didn't have our paperwork right. You know, we were young, and you know, we all everything got crazy, we moved fast, and everything else. And we know we didn't have like, you know, we didn't have our stuff right. And we get it. And I know, like between you and Aunt, I know you guys did a lot of work together and everything else. And that's y'all too. And I just want to tell you that, you know, you know, I'm sorry we didn't have the paperwork right, but this is all we got." Now, the irony about the settlement was that there was a large cash payout, and, but then I couldn't get any, claim, any more claims to royalties after that. So we're going to call you what you call it. We're not going to reprint these albums to put, you know, your name on other stuff that you need to do. We're going to keep it as it is. We're going to pay you out, and you don't get any other royalties from the rest of the album after, from this point after that. But what we'll do to make up for it, we'll start with a clean slate and let you produce X amount of songs for the rest of the problem. Now, I get the payout, but I never got a chance to go back in the studio to finish the, 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 the deal because I was, I was promised an X amount of songs on the second Mozart's album, a second, yeah, an X amount of songs on the third Mozart's album, and X amount of songs on Flesh's next solo album to make up for the difference of what the whole lawyer wanted to go in for. So, so I get the payout, but then to get the rest of the song. So you did uh, tracks on, on Family Scriptures. I know you had said that you and, you know, Crazy had started just plotting out the family reunion record and what that would be like. And you mentioned that some of the tracks ended up on his. Did, did you actually, yeah, on his solo. So, so you did do a little bit of the music with the intention of it going on family reunion. Uh, yeah. do, do you remember what any of those tracks were that would have been on family reunion that ended up on his solo? Murder Mo. Him and I okay. could not get, we, yeah. I mean, both, yeah. both, of him, both of him and I, we had this affinity for Ardenoid. And we were going to milk that damn song until we couldn't milk it anymore. So Murder Mo was supposed to go on there, and it ended up being on his. Because Murder Mo was kind of like a a uh, interlude on the on the on the Mozart's uh, first album. Yeah, but no we did do, yeah, but we didn't we didn't do it like we wanted to do it because again it was time thing, and he had to go back and forth on the road, and they and the label had already snuck me to New York. And it was like we still wasn't finished with it yet. We wasn't, it wasn't where we wanted it to be. So when he did it on his album and I heard it, I knew exactly where he was going with it because it was exactly how we wanted it. And I, like I said, we went in it, meaning that he wanted it, and I was his hands. You know, yeah, so, I mean, it makes sense that that would have been, you know, they had Mo Murder on the first one. Uh, mm-hmm. Murder Mo on the second one. Yes, you know it's that same sample. You, you and I have talked about that sample as well. Uh, fans may not know, but that's that's the sample in Hellfence. 
Well, the thing was that there, there was a um, there was a project I was working for one of guys' groups called the, the girls' groups called Seventy Six Sixty Nine, and we had this song, and it had a Prince sample in it, and it wasn't it wasn't even a full sample; it was just a riff, and Prince wanted seventy five percent, and it was like you can kiss my butt, and <laughs> our, <laughs> and so it never. But so then I knew that how to get around that is replay everything. So the murder mo and the mo is a hybrid of a sample and replay. I think there's more there's more of my instrumentation on murder mo than it was on mo murder mo murder. Because then again it's like if we if we didn't do those replays, we weren't gonna get any royalties. Yeah. It's it's so crazy to hear that because you know when I when I was speaking to, to Romeo, you know, he's pretty much he's like, Yep, he's like you know that it's kind of what my my role really was was to to come in and and replay shit and and he's like you know we did it meaning most of he's like you know we did it in a way that the the other labels just didn't know how um, he's like so they they were all sampling and he's like and we were remaking them making our own you know versions of that sample because that's um, what I would have them come in to do like even like I would have them to come and play like I would replay. The whole song, like I replayed the devotion. That's why I didn't get all that royalties taken away from my every every note I replayed from that, and then used the 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 yo yo mix, but still was yeah. my inspiration, you know, and still sonically doing like they had to give they had to give us performance rights, but not sample rights. So then I had you know I had Romeo playing note for note, and you know I'm sitting there like that's not it. We getting it, you know, because Romeo's like doing like I'm gonna do this, like nope, I need it to sound exactly like this, you know, because again, Romeo's a musician, so he knows he knows the the song. But then even if you go back to like the old story when you hear um when Vanilla Ice was in court and one of his favorite lines when he ripped off Queen was like, No, my song goes dun 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 and the judge sitting there like, Dude, you know, lost your mind and then you actually got clowned for it. It actually made sense to me because then that's what I would have Romeo do it was like no, I need to change this note and this note here, but still give it the same vibe. Yeah. So we, oh. so if we sonically put our song side by side, it would sound alike, but not be it. So we didn't, you know, so when it came to sampling, you didn't you pay the whole thing; you paid a little bit of it. The Vanilla Ice uh, court case that you brought up is is exactly why I've always been more shocked that Bone wasn't in more court cases over their songs uh, no. because of that exact court case. Um, with with Vanilla Ice, I've always been shocked that they didn't have more court cases over sampling and and shit like that. Because Vanilla Ice still took the short e- end of that uh, yeah. situation. It, it, it's just as far as like the you know the Mo Murder piece. Just jumping back to that quickly. Um, you had mentioned when you guys first started, you know, just working on that, and the, the song is so different Bobby like w- was there any talk from you know Crazy Bone as to how that track would be received um, by the fan base uh, of course it sparked it you know I mean fans love it and it, and it sparked a series um, but I mean was there any kind of thought from him about how you know people would receive it or did he just know that this was going to be you know as good as it is at that particular time we'd already got a feel of our fan base you know, Ant and I knew what it was going to work, and more so Ant, like, knew, because then again, he's out on the road. So he's talking, like, he sees the fans, he sees the responses. So they knew 
you know, what songs would work and what songs didn't work and, and everything else. So then when we were in the studio, it was, it was mathematical. It was like, um, yeah, we can, uh, we'll do this and this is going to do this and we're going to get this kind of response. We kind of like knew this, what was going to happen. Yeah. I, I like, I like that you chose to say mathematical because I, I've literally felt like so many crazy bone decisions are just mathematical. Like he just understands how, how it works. The guy's a, the guy's a fucking genius past what I think he even knows that he is. I mean, he really is, uh, underrated in every way and unless you're a bone fan you just have no way to really understand how underrated you know the guy is the the group the group itself is underrated i think in the in the history of hip-hop but crazy bone specifically is um just he he isn't praised enough uh in my opinion for his for his talents um no he's not and 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 to even even capitalize on what what you're saying is that I remember a lot, I get a lot of calls because now I have a national show and we talk about Bone a lot. And there's never been – the reason why these other stars get more prominence than and Bone doesn't get what they deserve is there's never been a person in the forefront waving the, waving the flag for Bone. Like yeah. they, 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 there's never been that matriarch to say. Like there's never, they, they, don't, they never had a ditty to tell you that they were great. So, like, a lot of stuff that they, that they should get credit for, they don't. No one knows that they broke Elvis' record first before Boyz II Men does. No one knows how melodically crazy has influenced a generation. You've been able to pursue quite a career um, post-Mothug. Are, are you still producing? Are you still working in studios? Right now, I'm working on I, – I, I worked on a lot of film and television, so – I think from 99 to 2005, I think I was responsible for about 60% of the music you hear on MTV as far as all their shows. And wow. then doing music for So You Think You Could Dance, all their musical pieces, and dance, and then um, also now doing a lot of film and television parts. And then every now and then getting, getting in the studio and jumping with a few artists and uh, – you know, like I said, just trying to trying to move forward. So yeah, there's there's been a lot of soundtracks, a lot of movie soundtracks, and a lot of film and TV stuff. So I'm still working 100. percent But That's like neat. I said, the, the biggest dream is to get in the studio and do another Bone song, and that would that that would be like you know like we we could finish it off. I don't need to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I I think we all I think we all want to see that. Um, I think we all want to you know hear what would what you guys would come up with, especially where we're at the, uh, you know, Bones been 20, when you look at Faces of Death, they're 25 years in the game, still active. They tour some, some combination of Bone Thugs and Harmony has toured every single year, I think, since they became a group, some sort of combination of the five of them. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's an amazing run uh, that they've had, and you add a lot to it, so hopefully we're we're going to see this this reunion as fans I know we want to see it we we crave that that old sound and you helped make that um you you mentioned something about you do, do you have a show as well do i have somebody from a show on my show tell me what the fuck is going on there well we got the show uh called new music buzz and it's pretty much i think it's comcast and 
I think uh, I think it's about to be on Amazon soon. It's pretty much like you know TMZ for music, and uh, pretty much we you know interviewed different bands and uh, musicians and and also you know do music news on them and everything else. It's kind of like MTV Light in thirty minute package. So um, check that out if you get a chance. It's de- you definitely can still see it online or on YouTube Red. Um, but then pretty soon, if you have Amazon, you'll be able to pick it up. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much been keeping me busy. If if, if I'm not sitting there getting uh, getting music ready for a for a, um, a dance with the stars or um, so you think you dance, which is actually this they're they're we're working on that season now. I mean that's wild. It's, it sounds like I'm I'm going beyond the harmony with somebody that goes beyond the harmony about other fucking acts all the time. Uh, so so you you fit in very easy here. Um and and just again where where can fans check out your your show? Uh, you can check out the new music buzz online right now. You could probably just pick it up YouTube. If you Google it, it'll pop up. Or check your local cable provider. If you have Comcast, um, if you have, uh, like I said, we're in a lot of overseas. It's 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 doing really well on the cable providers overseas. Yeah. And that was one of the type of things. Like, well, I'm, I'm gonna conquer the small markets first before we get the bigger markets. That way, everybody knows the show. Or, no, yeah, we've been on Revolt for a minute. I think we're gonna oh, try, yeah. try to go back to Revolt and yeah. see where that's we can a, live. That's a great fit. Revolt Revolt sounds like a great fit. Um, you know, for a show like that. That's awesome. I mean, that's a huge, it's a huge achievement. Uh, I think it's outstanding that the Mothug situation didn't hold you back. You, you pursued, you know, pursued being a successful entity. Um, and, and it's very commendable, man. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I, I know we were under a, a few limitations. Hopefully we can find some time and, and get you back on the show because, I mean, I have a plethora of questions and a ton of them I, I didn't even get to, but I think we hit the real important ones. But before we wrap up, I mean, is there anything else that you want to leave with with the fans uh, just about, you know, your legacy or, or your involvement, you know, with the Bone Mothug movement? Well, with with, with Bone Thugs and Harmony, it, it started out being an extension of, of Anthony's uh, vision. And the fact that, you know, we work so well together on creating quite a few songs, um, I think pretty much more so that if somebody, if anybody can be that person that they need to actually let the world know. I mean, because not even a, a BET Unsung can do them justice. We actually need a new edition style show or a TV movie or a miniseries on those guys. Because, again, a lot of things, a lot of stuff that you saw in the new edition movie that you liked, the guys parallel and you, you knowing from Cleveland paralleled them at the same time. Yeah. You know, as, as far, and then, and even a lot of people don't know that even uh of record was kind of like uh tailor made after Biff Tim record, but the same premise. Yeah. So wow. a, a, um, I think, I, I, I think, you know, there's, there's still a lot of more to say and I would love for you to have me back. Because we can conquer so many other things. Because like a lot, a lot of things, like a, a lot of the stuff that we we talked about, there's still so much to tell. And oh, yeah. A lot of the the, the the musical process and what it took to do the songs, and so many great things that happened. And uh, it'd be great to to talk about that and bring that to light. Oh, hey, any 
anytime, man, I, I always appreciate when I, I got, you know, someone that uh, I can have a, a great conversation with that uh, understands the idea of this show. And, you know, I appreciate so much just you taking the time to, to go beyond the harmony with the fans. I'll definitely be in touch with you. Uh, we will set up a part two as soon as possible. Bobby Jones, I want to thank you so much, my brother, for coming on and being my guest tonight. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right, man. You take it easy. All right, peace. All right, y'all. That was it. That was it. That was the big convo with Bobby Jones. And did we find some shit out? I'm going to tell you guys right now. You heard John come in. He was playing hooky. He's been in and out. I've been watching him jump in and out of the conversation. I don't even know if he's here right now. John, are you in here right now? Yeah, no, I'm here, I, and it was cool to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> I got to be a fly on the wall and and listen in on the Beyond the Harmony show. So that was that was definitely killer. You did a great I, job, and Bobby did a great job. It was a great show. Oh man, Bobby was amazing to talk to. I mean, it was you know you again. This show is a flip of the coin. You know, I don't know who's going to be on the other side. Most of the time, I think every time I've ever done one of these, I've never pre-spoken over the phone to any of the guests. It's just on, you know, on Facebook, over text message. So you, you don't know what they're going to be like. And, and Bobby was just, hey, I'm not surprised. When I found out he had his own show, I was like, this guy gets it. Um, I, I had a ton of fun and just found out some amazing shit. Johnny, I don't even know if you were in here. You're going to have to listen to this whole show. Did you hear, yeah. did you fucking hear but the original, the Crossroads remix, before it was remixed by DJ Unique, Bobby remixed it, and it was the World So Cruel beat, and they did a whole, the Crossroads over the World So Cruel beat, and it, it really didn't work out, so then they went back into the studio, and Unique uh, dropped that one, and then that's how World So Cruel ended up on Flesh's record. No, I did not hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. so there's a big episode. Um, this episode is so big that when I edit this and put this out, just so you guys know, John's going to listen to this episode with you guys. Yeah. And just in case you were wondering where I was, it has a happy ending. I, I, was, I was on call for some IT stuff and things happened in the middle of the show and I had to take the call. Uh, Cecil and I always were concerned about this happening and it finally happened. Hopefully this is the only time it ever happens, but it got resolved. Um, and I'm glad that Cecil was able to hold it down while I was out. And I'm looking forward to hearing this episode. And 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 this is the other thing too, because I was I wasn't on at the beginning. This was a show that Cecil's had eyed since the beginning. I mean, this one's this has been one of those ones that like, as we discuss the the journey of this show, it's always like, but then we're gonna have the Bobby Jones episode, and it's now happened. And I can't wait to listen to it to see how this adds on to the storyline because this one was a long time coming. We've been eyeing this on the calendar for a long time. Uh, I, I feel bad that I missed it, but I knew you could hold it down, so I'm glad it worked out. It was, it was super, you know, it was easy to hold down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say honestly, like, uh, you know, because I think Bobby does his show and, and he knows how it works, I mean, you know, I basically just had to set him up with a with a question, and he brought it exactly where I wanted it to go. He he brought it places where you know 
Um, I, I didn't even know it was going to go. Like I said, the, the world's so cruel story. Um, there's just so, bro, were, were you in there? Were you, were you on the show to hear about Mo Murder and Murder Mo? Because I know it's one of your favorite topics. Those are two of my favorite songs. And no, I, I heard you guys uh, talk about it again at the end. And, you know, where you guys, uh, where you asked, I'm just glad you got to ask it, uh, how, if, you, if they were concerned about how it was going to be received or not. And, um, but no, okay. Well, I'd say, tell me about it, but I could always just listen to the show unless there's a highlight that you want to highlight there about it. I'm, I'm a highlight for you. I'm going to just give you the highlight. Uh-huh. Mo Murder is on Mo Thugs One. We know Murder Mo is on Crazy Solo, but it was supposed to be for Mo Thugs Two, and that was Bobby Jones' Mo Thugs Two contribution. And it makes so much more sense that Murder Mo and uh, or Mo Murder and Murder Mo would have been on the Mo Thug album, right? Yeah. As, as a sequel, uh, okay. As a sequel, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's a big story as to why it didn't. I'm, I'm, you know, everybody just heard it, so. It's it's so funny to be on the show catching up my hosts for people listening, but I'm sure even our fans are are enjoying that that you didn't get to hear hear this. It's a it's a great interview. Uh, Bobby was outstanding to talk to, and I knew he was going to be important. And and this is why you know when you just said, "Hey, I, I've talked about this from the beginning." I've talked about this from the beginning because. It's it's the same reason that we end you know we ended up interviewing Kate Chill. When you look, you know, linear notes over, um, when when you look information over, and you repeatedly see somebody's name, but people don't talk about them. Uh, like, think about it. In in all our years of of, of fandom, in all our conversations, even pre Beyond the Harmony. As many times as, you know, Romeo may have come up in conversation or Archie and Choo Choo or anything, I don't think we ever talked about Bobby Jones. Uh, and I was like, well, why? Because this guy's fucking all over this. I mean, there's got to be more to this. I mean, this guy recorded, he mixed, he fucking, he, he played keyboards, he did so much. Uh, you know, he was part of the engineering process. There's got to be more to this. And, and there was, there was even more than we knew. He, he was under a... Uh, he was under a time crunch, actually a very important one, and he basically let us go right up to, you know, when he had to switch calls. He had a very important call. So uh, much more to say, there's, there's no way I'm going to end it there with Bobby Jones um, because I had more questions. I could tell he had more to tell us, but every fucking time, bro, every time we do this show, uh, it's amazing because, the story is so big, and John and I, I won't lie to you guys, John and I got into this for a reason, and we do these interviews, and every time we do an interview, I go, did we do what we came to do? Is this it? And, and, and that doesn't mean we interviewed everybody there is to interview, but there's a huge parts of the story that you already know that we don't have to re-interview somebody to, to tell you about. So we're only trying to uncover what you don't know. Um, and every time we do one, I'm like, bro, this story is so fucking big. Uh, there's still so much that we don't know. And Bobby Jones just, just told me so much. Bobby's got shit. Hey, Bobby Jones will probably block me on fucking Facebook <laughs> because 
he has unreleased shit that I'm just like, oh, buddy, you're going to get sick of me saying, hey, Bobby, what, <laughs> what's up with that? He has the, the crossroads that I told you about over World So Cruel. Yeah, he's got mm-hmm. that. He's like, he's like, that's sitting on a, on a master in an unlabeled white box. It, you know, it's like, and, and I only got to hear a little bit of it, but he just seems like a guy that we've known our whole life because in theory we have musically. And a lot of yeah. the guests who we've had, it, it's like after after just a few minutes of it, you're like, man, I, I feel like I've known this guy my whole life. And as I said, in many ways we have. And it's it's also nice that, you know, we found out how prolific Bobby Jones is. He said he was like doing like 60% or something of the MTV uh like audio that was happening, that's incredible. Oh, amazing. So, yeah. And it, he's currently working, like, Dancing with the Stars, huge fucking show. I mean, incredible. Incredible. I mean, incredible body of work. I mean, in ways, he kind of, he kind of, he, he kind of uh, Beyond the Stars is a pretty huge thing because you could probably go to anybody in America ask them about uh, Beyond the Stars or Bone Thugs and Harmony. They're probably going to know Dancing with the Stars more and so in ways bobby's kind of exceeded expect like he's gone above and beyond um in ways the rest of the guys so he yeah. overachieved and, and and i you know i kind of said that to him at the end i said you know it was kind of a blessing in disguise you probably missed it but he said hey you know i never ended up on paper uh like the other multis his situation was kind of like a mix between Romeo and Archie, if that makes sense. So he was kind of like the middle. Like, Romeo was completely independent and good. Archie was, like, way, way under the thumb, um, signed, not getting paid. Bobby is unsigned and not getting paid. Uh, But in the end, it worked out good because there was also no paperwork to hold Bobby back from all these things, whereas we know there was paperwork holding Mothugs back, you know, from certain things. You know, and it's nice, too, when when there's people that have had successful careers. Like, Romeo's had a really successful life, but that he still has that, that place in his heart for bone, and uh, and same with Bobby. So it's it's always good when you see people that, that have achieved great things still have that, that love in their heart uh, for the stuff that just grabs your soul like, like bone and still want to do stuff like that. Yeah, so, so many of them. Even, awesome. you know, I, I saw Mo Hart. Mo Hart was on his live stream this morning. And it's just a live stream of Mohart whipping around, and his music's too loud for him to even talk to you. And it's just him bumping Mo Thug and Bone. Um, <laughs> you know, even even with the feelings that a lot of them have that come from money, you know, because because money has a big part to do with a lot of the ill feelings between Mo Thugs and Bone. You notice that so many of them broke. Uh, Soldier Boy still shows love. Mo Hart still shows love. King Chill was, you know, in his interview, he's like, those are still my boys. I'm really proud of them. Shows love. Uh, you know, I can't think of any of the interviews that we did where even if it was like, hey, I'm, I'm upset because I didn't get mine, everybody still showed love. And I think the reason for that is, is that even though the money was the breaking factor and the money divided them, our family reunion them turned into a family crisis, crisis, fucking, even though that's what happened, the family piece at the end of the day is still bigger, even though they're not together anymore, you know, you can tell the Mothugs, they still honor the Mothug family, which is crazy, 
but it's amazing because that's what you hear them all say. We were like a family. It was more, it wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't bullshit. Family scriptures, it really was that. This was a family. And that's amazing to hear. A lot of times our show, I think, takes heat for trying to uncover the negative. But, but what we just told you, that this is about that family, the foundation of these interviews is these guys that love the family. And that's what the show is really about. Family shit isn't always nice. It's not always beautiful. There's some ugly shit there. But Bobby Jones still wants, you know, to, to work with Bone. And I think that's a lot of them because that's the family. And at the end of the day, you never want to go away with, with that hostility or those bad things. And, you know, I, I hope for our show, for the sake of the fans, for the sake of the artists, that along with the bad things that may come uncovered, I hope that the people that listen to this show, you know, hear the good thing, hear, hear that piece. And I hope that our show, you know, plays a part in some sort of reuniting of some of the most thugs and bones. And I think it's going to. I truly believe it will. Yeah, and, you know, another thing, too, is is I've become fans of all the, like, even greater fans, uh, especially, like, with the people we didn't know of on a record. Like, obviously, I was always a Mohart fan, but I'm even more of a Mohart fan now. And and Capone, like, anytime Capone posts on Facebook, I always check out Capone's posts now. Cause I, I, like, now I feel like I know him a lot better. And every single get and now Bobby Jones, I'm going to listen to his radio show, see how he does his show, and see if there's anything that uh, – we could adopt onto our show and just get tips and pointers from how he's doing it. Cause he's a seasoned pro of 20 plus years and uh, everybody else that we've, we've had on, I've, I'm, I'm like a hardcore fan of them. Now I follow them on what they're doing on social networks when I have the time to even look. And then even our commenters, you know, I, I look forward to seeing, I, I know 1985 Gemini is going to have a comment each day. So I love waking up to her stuff, Stony Maloney um, and everybody else that is our frequent commenters. It's, you're talking about family, and there's a Beyond the Harmony family, and it's it's the people we've had on the show, and everybody that comments and participates in it. So, it's it's a it's a big family thing that that we got going on. It is a big family. It's it's getting bigger all the time. It is currently June 19th. I'm not sure at what point you guys will hear this recording, but as of June 19th, we have 790 subscribers. Um. In June, I don't know if this, you probably won't even hear this shit of July, but I'm going to give away a copy of Thugs always this month. It's a fucking big CD giveaway. That's what we're going to give away to our 790 subscribers. One of them is going to go home with that in June. Hopefully, we get a little video up there as well. Uh, we have a huge family, though, and i got to make sure every show we shut them out. You know, Phoenix Rising does our theme. Make sure you subscribe to her channel. She is outstanding. She does the best phone covers I've ever heard. Our homies at thugsandharmony.com. Shane over at bookofthugs.com. Bone Thugs NL, who holds it down continuously. Loyalbonefans.com. Stony Maloney. The BTNH board on Facebook. And, of course, the Beyond the Harmony group on Facebook. All these motherfuckers help put it together. And so many other people as well. Um, it's amazing. This family is amazing. We're this close to the thousand subscribers we need. So if you know a Bone fan, make sure they know about this channel. 
and that they subscribe. Because um, we we almost there. Uh, I can't believe how long we've been doing this, John. It's like it feels like a lifetime and overnight at the same time. It's good that it's it's an evolution, a revolution, and uh, all those things. So it's, it's well, we're four months in, actually about four and a half months in now, right? Yeah, yeah. And just it's, and just think that the closure that we've had and all the new doors that have opened and what lies to come. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I I hey, I had a great interview. I I appreciate everybody tonight rocking with uh just just solo me please please i know you all love the one and only john lippy don't unsubscribe just because it was just me i promise you johnny will be back all the time sound effects board and all but for now for tonight i think that's it you got something else john you you got something you want to blow into this fucking thing i can i'll step down and let you have this so far yeah i'll just say there's one final thing i i Somebody had made a comment. I'm, I might have been on the BTNH board. Maybe it was one, on one of our comments. But uh, it, it, it reminded me of something that is like the unspoken thing. And he said, he said yeah, I was listening to hip-hop uh, growing up, but then once I heard Bone Thugs and Harmony, that was it. Nothing else mattered. It was nothing but Bone and Mo Thugs and all the affiliates in my deck and nothing else, just straight Bone. And there was definitely... When I found Bone, I found it was like I found my true love. This is all I needed, and it was just nothing but Bone. So, like, when I saw that post, I was like, how many Bone fans out there had that same thing where it's like once you had all these groups you listened to, maybe you had, like, you liked their singles or you made mixtapes of, like, one song per group, and then it came Bone, and it was just like, just push play, bro. That's it. This is Bone, just straight Bone. And so seeing that comment just made me, took me back to that. I was like, yes, this guy, I, whoever this guy is, he knows and this is exactly the the essence of every Bone fan out there. I think once you find Bone, you just don't – nothing else matters after that. Yeah, I told you. I mean, I had a six-CD six disc changer very early on, and I told you the story about waking up to the, the Made Crazy by the Flesh, flesh and Bone yeah. song because cause I would turn that fucking thing on at night, you know what I mean, and just let it go. We're going to listen to Bone Thugs all night while I sleep. And, I mean, it would have been everything, you know, at that time. Flesh and Bone, Mole Thugs, Eternal, Creeping on the Come Up. It's probably all the shit that was in, you know, in this, in this disc changer. And that's all I wanted. I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> once in a while, once in a while, like, that, that was, like, the home base, right? Like, whatever was Bone and Mole Thug was the home base. And then once in a while, it was like, all right, I'll take one of these out and I'm going to put in this pot CD I want to listen to. Well, then when I was done... The pox CD would come out of the changer, go back into the case, and then the bone CD would go back in the fucking disc changer. Like, that was the bone CD's case. And, and, and how many of you guys out there listening, um, if you're guys, and, and I'm curious for the girls, too, if they do this, it'd be funny if the girls do this, but uh, I know Cecil throughout his 20-year, 20 20-plus 20 year reign that I've known him, as well as myself, picking a girlfriend <laughs> – they gotta be run through the Bone Thugs and Harmony circuit to see what they're made of. How many of you guys out there put have tortured your girlfriends for hours upon hours, where they were actually interested for the first five minutes, <laughs> but then when they realized that this is going on for hours, that you're playing the whole collection to them? How many oh. of you guys put put some poor girls out there through the entire Bone discography? <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> so they were blue in the face. 
Yeah. If you're, you're going to be in a relationship with Cecil West, you're going to go to bone school because I'm like, all right, I, I literally, I, uh, you know, I like a little privacy. So I'm, I'm not going to say her name over here because, you know, she, I don't mind being bothered by anybody ever, but, you know, I don't want her bothered by people. So we'll leave her name out. But I will tell you that when me and her first, you know, got together, it was like, all right, here's some bone songs. Bring these home and uh, start to learn them at first. And she's like, what? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, I don't fucking know. So I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't working out. It's too hard. I'm like, all right, this is crazy, Bone. Just go home and listen to these songs until you know his voice. So then I start unrolling just the, the – so she had to go through the solos first because I was like, ah, she's not getting the group thing. So I make her go through the solos to try to make her, you know, be able to define between crazy and, and busy and shit like that. And, uh, hey, I, I give her her props. She did really well. <laughs> As long as she possibly could. Like, there was, like, a tap out where she's like, I don't give a fuck about Bone. Um, but, hey, with, I'll tell you with that, uh, with the addition of this podcast in her life, she, she sure knows a lot about Bone. She follows Busy Bone, and anytime Busy Bone goes live, um, she watches his, his live. And, and she got to meet Busy Bone. When, when, when me and Busy performed together, she got to meet Busy Bone and hang out with Busy Bone. I actually think that her story goes, she was sitting in the golf cart with me and Busy Bone had walked up from the VIP and, uh, or from like the artist trailer and he's smoking and he goes, uh, and, and he goes, uh, excuse me, can I get that seat from you? <laughs> and she was like, sure. And, uh, she, and her story is always like, I gave Busy Bone my seat. <laughs> so, so she, so she knows Busy Bone, uh, but yeah, I I think every Bone fan, not only just the the, the significant other, may, maybe not girls. Although hey, 1985 Gemini or or any girl that's a, a fan of ours uh, that that listens to the show, if you got a significant other that you put through the ringer with Bone and all their songs, make sure you leave us a comment about that as well. I'm always interested to know. I I did it to my friends too. My friends, my poor fucking friends, my poor. Cecil West and his poor fucking friends that have had Bone Thugs and Harmony driven down their face. And some of them are still like, are you still listening to fucking Bone? Bro? I, and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you're not sick of it? I'm like, they make new music. And they're like, they, make, they still do records? I'm like, they make great records. Listen to this shit. And, I, you know, I push new waves on a ton of my friends. And uh, we used to go to a summer camp, like a, you know, uh, privately owned camp all last year and new waves was like the soundtrack so a bunch of people a bunch of my people love love new waves because i just pushed it until they had no option oh yeah, yeah. my poor east coast hip-hop friends <laughs> they got put through the ringer for bone and the funniest thing is like thinking back on uh getting rides home i'm like hey throw in that mo thug thug devotion mo murder and they're like yo there's so much other artists out there, man. Why you always want to put Bone and Mo Thug in the system? You know, there's Tupac, Biggie. We're living in the era of what's going to be known someday as, as the golden age of hip-hop, and all you want to hear is Bone. And, uh, it's poor guys, bro. <laughs> poor guys. But then at the same time, you know, drop us your comments about, about uh, what you've the, – the, the torture you put girls through with, with Bone, but also – uh, making friends when you found somebody that 
that was a Bone fan. It was just like automatic friendship. And um, there's been so many people I met down. I mean, you and I probably, we became friends through Bone, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Life, just, lifetime yeah. friendships through Bone. John and I became friends because I was a member of whatever the BTNH board was called back then. Um, maybe it was still BTNH board. I don't know. Uh, oh, the UEB? The UEB or something? Was it? Yeah, whatever it was. I had a, I had a name before that, yeah. And John was in Lyrical Fusion, and they had a song called Getting High on the South Side that was very, very similar to, you know, the Bone style. But the thing that made it unique at this time is the you know, Internet wasn't oversaturated with music by independent artists. You know, not everybody could record a song back then. So it was a big fucking deal that they uploaded it, and it got put on the BTNH board, and the fans went crazy, and I heard it, and I was like, wow, this is fucking crazy. And I, I reached out to John because of that, found out his group, had this this whole other record and the the rest of it doesn't really sound like bone and uh but the fucking rest is history here we are i don't even know how long me and john have been friends now i have no since like 98 to 2018 yeah 98 to 2018 because figure the final toast came out in 98 so yeah man 20 20 years this is the yeah so this is our 20 year uh reign yeah we've already done a uh our own documentary to celebrate all that. So it's not like we need to commemorate it any more than it has and a book. All because <laughs> of, um, all, all all of bone. I had a kid too, you know, I think I've told you this story, but the, the fans will know this. Uh, you know, you guys know I had a website. It was hellsent.com and my, my handle back then was L-A-Y-Z-1999 thug. Lazy1999 thug. And I ran hellsent.com and Honestly, I can't even remember the guy's name. I think one of them might have been Murdermo. I, I can't remember the guy's name but, that I did it with. And uh, I ended up leaving the website, actually, and they kept it going for a while. But I started up with just one of them, and I think the staff turned into three or four. But we had a staff page, and our pictures were on it. And there was a kid in my school who was a hardcore Bone fan, and I think he was in the grade under me, right? So it's like my, uh, I think my junior year, and he's a sophomore. And I'm I'm hanging out by the library, and he walks up and he goes, hey, I don't want to be weird. He goes, but do you fucking own a website called hellsense.com? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I remember in my mind going, fuck. Like, you know, because I, I didn't run around. Like, I ran around my high school actively, like, pushing bone. But I wasn't out there like, yo, I got this, you know, fan website or any shit. I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, 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 I just own it, right? I'm like, yeah, he's like, yo, that's so awesome. And he's like, you know, I got a copy of Faces of Death, and he's got, like, the 1993. His, his 1993 edition is the only time I've ever seen it in real in real person. And, uh, yeah, so I, fi- I find out him and his and his homie, um, I find out him and his homie are, are huge Bone fans like I am, and they're huge fans of my website. So, they're, you know. There you go. Every once in a while. Don't don't be scared. Tell somebody you're a Bone fan. Tell somebody to do that. Yeah. yeah, and I'm also curious, like, how many of the listeners out there are members of that, you know, the early 2000s, late, late 90s Bone forums, you know, that might have remembered Lazy Thug 1999 or Lyrical Fusion, um, or give a shout-out to your favorite memories of those people, because that is part of 
our purpose of the show is to rekindle that that time period. So I'm just curious to know how many of you guys out there are from that time period and any fond memories you have of that. And uh, and speaking of people running into you, uh, I had in my group, Lyrical Fusion, um, like the me and this guy, Rob G, 808 Pimp, we were, we were like the, the, the glue of the band. But then we kind of had a falling out. And just as that was falling apart, that's when Cecil West uh, and, and myself started working on a lot of stuff. And uh, Cecil had this one solo album that uh, my friend, when I was getting ready to move out, he came to visit, like to pay his last respects, and he saw cartoons Cecil West's album sitting on the sitting on my uh, table, and he goes, "Oh, did Rob G come out with a, a solo album?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, that's not that's not Rob G. That's not the 808 Pimp." He's like, "No, that's that's what did he change his name?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, that's that's somebody else." He's like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> so I mean, he couldn't I mean, believe it, but it was it was guy. it was Cecil West. I've been confused for this fucking guy for so long too. It's crazy. <laughs> lyrical, lyrical Fusion used to have these, uh, you know, these viral videos. A bunch of them you guys have probably seen because they were to to bone, you know, music. A bunch of them, and the same fucking kids that knew I did Hell Sent, they're like, "Yo, you're in the Smoking Buddha video," and I'm like, "Nah." And they're like, "Nah, that's you," and I'm like, "Bro," I'm like, "Nah," I'm like, "That's that's my friends in Florida," and you know, back then you couldn't pull it up on your fucking phone or any shit like that. So we go to the computer lab. He pulls the video, and as he's pulling it up, like, I, you know, he's pulling it up with the intention to prove to me that I'm in this fucking thing. Like, he's sitting there pulling it up with just so much confidence and thinking that he's about to show me that I'm in this, like, underground bone video. And he gets to the part, and he freezes it, and I'm like, it ain't me. <laughs> and he's like, he, I, he probably to this day probably still doesn't believe that it's not me. So, you know. Me and Johnny's bone thug roots, they go way, way back. We became friends, and like I said, probably late 98, early 99, all because of bone thugs and harmony. It had to have been because we found each other because of that fucking board. And I bet you a lot of you guys out there, some of the friends that you're still friends with now, 10, 15 years later, if they're not family, it's probably because they were bone fans. And most people don't break up with bone fans because they're hard to find. I mean, they're all over the world, but they're never in your area. So I think Bone fans become friends for life, and uh, I'm pretty sure Cecil and I will be friends for life, and it all that's, all because of Bone. That's because that's being a Bone fan, you're, you're part of a fucking club. Uh, it's, like, it's like being part of a secret society. It's like being part of a secret it only, hmm. Well, y'all speak hmm. tuned. Y'all stay hmm. tuned. Uh, y'all stay tuned to that. Hmm. And I think that's a good note to leave it on. Hmm. Until next time, this is Beyond the Harmony. Beyondtheharmony.com. I am Cecil West with, of course, John Lippy. And we will see you next week for Thug Thursday. Be out of here. Beyond the harmony for the fans we celebrate. 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 Beyond the harmony for the fans we celebrate.